And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With you till 3 on this Monday with plenty to get to over the next few hours as we kickstart another week. Coming up, the SEC continues to dominate. Plus, Freddie Freeman's emotional return to Atlanta. One cliche has been proven true once again in Major League Baseball this year. The Charlotte Hornets continue to embarrass themselves. Golf continues to look more and more like college sports. Speaking of, uh, speaking of college sports, one college quarterback is set to make more money than quite a few NFL quarterbacks. Also, which college football teams are at a crossroads? And we get set for Deshaun Watson's hearing with the NFL tomorrow. All that and more throughout the next few hours. You can join the conversation throughout the afternoon as well 843-721-9500 to give us a call you can always text the show 843-608-1734 get to us on twitter at morrow middays on facebook at espn charleston via email studio at kirkmanbroadcasting.com or online at charlestonsportsradio.com Head over there and click on our show page where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there, or you can even take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. With you till three, Trent's on the steel wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? Luke, I'm doing well. Great weekend. It was nice outside. Enjoyed myself. It was cool. You know, I was watching some sports. Great night last night, even though my lightning didn't get it done. You know, last night in game six, it was good NHL uh, Stanley Cup final. Enjoyed it. My Giants are struggling right now. Don't know how we're going to get out of that. It's just the pitching staff. Other than that, Luke, it's a beautiful Monday here on the Morrow Midday Show. Yeah, sure is. Congratulations to Jared Bednar and getting it done there with the Avalanche. That's right. They were the preseason favorites, which I did not realize. They were a great team this year, too. And so they get it done. Three uh, Stanley Cup finals now in the last 25 years for Colorado. And meanwhile, Canada has not won a Stanley Cup since 93. So the Avalanche with three in that time. And Stan Kroenke now gets the Super Bowl at the Rams. Stanley Cup with the Avalanche. I guess this means the Denver Nuggets, his other team, are going to win the NBA Finals next year. That's a pretty good life uh, for Stan Kroenke if you're an owner of a sports team. You get a Super Bowl. Now you get a Stanley Cup. And you go from the Super Bowl is the biggest event. Then you go to the Stanley Cup, which is like the greatest trophy and celebrations, really. So pretty good, a uh, little bit of a charmed life for a guy that I'm sure was, you know, having some tough times. Stan Kroenke doing pretty well right now. Put your future tickets in now, folks, for the Denver Nuggets right. and, and Arsenal as well for the, uh, for the Champions League. We got to remember that because he owns both of those franchises as well. What a guy. Yeah, you're not kidding. Pretty nice. Let me find the heiress of the Walmart uh, fortune. 
no, but Stan Kroenke did pretty well for himself as well. Hey, speaking of champions, let me start with this. With another champion, Ole Miss, in the College World Series yesterday, finishing off Oklahoma and sweeping the series for their first ever national championship. Before we break it all down, let's hear how it sounded. This was the final call on ESPN, the broadcast yesterday, called by Mike Monaco, as Ole Miss celebrates their first ever baseball national championship. One-two pitch. Struck him out from last four in to last team standing. Ole Miss has won the College World Series. For the first time in program history, Ole Miss baseball national champions. Just the way we thought it was going to be when we left Hoover, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite a testament to Mike Bianco, who has had to go through some rumblings this year and this coaching staff. Guy that's been there for 22 years and literally has built, in many ways, what is history at Ole Miss, has brought that program up to a new level. And now he's done something nobody else has done. He trusted his kids, Bench, Elko, Graham, all come back for this. Final out last night. Good call from Mike Monaco. I like that line, too. Right with the, the final uh, four in to the, the, the last one standing, or last one in to last one standing. Very good. And Ole Miss becomes a first-time national champion for baseball as the SEC continues their dominance. Nobody likes a monopoly. I complain about it all the time when it comes to trying to get tickets for events. Right, And Ticketmaster really has a stranglehold on that industry. And they can charge whatever they want, and they jack up the, the fees and the rates, and you're spending twice as much as you're supposed to because, really, they don't have much of a competition. That's what I've been talking about with the golf world. Right? That this could, if the PGA Tour knows what they're doing, could be a good thing for them. Worked out pretty well for the NFL, for the NBA in the past. Competition's always great. Keeps you honest. Keeps you competitive. You can't just coast along. You have to continue to come up with fresh ideas because otherwise... Right? Eat or be eaten. Your competition will take you down. But for the SEC, right now, the other conferences really aren't competing. They've won three straight national championships in college football from three different schools. They have now won three straight national championships in baseball from three different schools. And the thing is, when it comes to baseball, this is the big difference. Football, it's to be expected. Right? Alabama gets it done, no surprise. LSU wins a national championship, eh, third straight coach to do it there. Georgia finally wins a national championship. You're wondering, what took you so long? But when it comes to baseball, the SEC did not win a national championship in baseball until 30 years ago, until the 90s. And until 2010, when South Carolina broke through, right? if we go back just 12 years ago, the only programs to win a national championship in SEC baseball were Georgia and LSU, and that was it. Then South Carolina won back-to-back championships 12 years ago followed by Vanderbilt winning their first. They then followed it up with a second one. Florida got their first national championship five years ago. Mississippi State got their first last time around. And now a team that hardly made the field and Ole Miss wins a national championship for the first time, all while Tennessee statistically was one of the best college baseball teams we've ever had this year, also out of the SEC. Obviously didn't get as far as they were hoping to, but throughout the regular season, they were the best team in baseball. And then in the postseason, the best team in baseball was Ole Miss, also from the SEC. Football, we know, is dominating. That's to be expected. But now baseball as well. And from unusual suspects. Right, Mississippi State wins their first ever championship last year. Tennessee this year. Best season in program history. 
followed up with an Ole Miss first-time national championship. South Carolina, 12 years ago, broke through with their first national championships. It's not Alabama just dominating or LSU winning again another national championship. Or even if you want to say the Colorado Avalanche. It's like, yeah, it's their third in the last 25 years. It wasn't like some team had never been to the Stanley Cup before and suddenly breaks through. You know, the Avalanche, they have a pretty good track record. It had been a little while. But in this case, it's teams that have never won before for the SEC. They're dominating football. They've taken over baseball. And the basketball program or basketball conference has gotten a lot better as well. Right, football is clearly the best. Baseball put more teams in the field than anybody. And basketball had the second most teams in March Madness this past year. And I think it all comes back to football. Football has been so successful that they've made so much money that they've been able to branch off in other areas. It's like somebody who hits it big with their first company, and then now they have all sorts of money. They can be some sort of angel investor. You ever watch Shark Tank? These guys have maybe had multiple successful career paths or companies, but you hit it big, you got a lot of money, and now you think, like, okay, I could go invest in all sorts of different areas, industries, different companies, put my money in different places. Where the average Joe's walking around, you don't have that opportunity. You can't take as many risks. You don't have as much money to put in. You can't be as aggressive. As they say, you got to spend money to make money. The SEC is reeling in more money than anybody when it comes to football. And then they reinvest it in their basketball programs, bringing in good coaches. In the baseball programs, bringing in good coaches. In fact, how about the story yesterday that not only while the SEC were they winning a national championship, but also they stole the pitching coach from the Minnesota Twins. He left this past weekend, midseason, as the pitching coach in Major League Baseball to go be the pitching coach of LSU. He just left a job in Major League Baseball as a pitching coach to have the same job in the SEC. And you're wondering, how does that make any sense? By the way, the Twins, they're not like uh, you know the Kansas City Royals. They're in first place. It's a first-place operation. They could go win the division. He's the pitching coach in the big leagues for a first-place team. He left to join the SEC. Why? Because according to reports, LSU is going to pay him twice as much. An SEC baseball team is going to pay their pitching coach twice as much as the Minnesota Twins, a major league team. We also got a story over the weekend of a top-end pitching prospect who was projected to be drafted in the first round of this year's draft. He changed his mind over the weekend and said, actually, you know what? I want to go to school. He's going to Vanderbilt, which has been a great school in developing pitchers. Instead of just going to the major league baseball draft, he's expected to be a first-round pick. You say, no, I'd rather go pitch in the SEC for at least a year. Maybe I'll go to the big leagues next year or professional baseball. He'll start in the minors. The SEC stole one of the better pitching prospects over the weekend. They stole a pitching coach from the big leagues, which I've never seen before. And they won their first ever national championship. I was uh, a part of the Chicago Cubs organization when they hired Derek Johnson, who was coming from Vanderbilt. And when Vanderbilt had David Price and Sonny Gray, and they won that national championship, and you know they had a good baseball program, and he was developing all sorts of good pitchers. And he didn't even make it at the time. Now he's in the big leagues. But at the time, the job at the Cubs wasn't even a major league pitching coach. It was the minor leagues to be the, the coordinator of all minor league pitchers. And that was a big step up. And everybody was excited, like, hey, he made it to the bigs. Now we have pitching coaches going in the opposite direction, leaving the big leagues to go back to the SEC. That's where they have gotten as a baseball conference they're able to spend twice as much as a big league team they're winning all the national championships in the last 25 years uh no conference has done what the sec has done in fact when it comes to baseball no conference has done what the sec has done with three straight champions from the same conference but all being three different teams they just did it in football now they've done it in baseball and in basketball right the basketball is getting better they just need to perform better in march madness
because of the success of the football programs. Maybe it's not a coincidence that the year of the ACC right had their worst football season in a long time with Clemson not holding up their end and nobody really caring about Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. The basketball programs put in their fewest teams in March Madness this year. It all starts with football, and then it trickles down to the other sports and the other teams as well. And SEC football has been so good, it's allowed them to hire great coaches for basketball and improve that side of the conference. Baseball, they've become now the best conference in baseball as well, just as they have been for football, and they're just further taking over. Right, The monopoly of the SEC in college sports continues. Since 2006, we have crowned 32 champions in football and baseball over the past uh, 16 years. 24 of those 32 are from seven states, and they're all bordering. There are seven states that all touch one another. Right from Louisiana, that's as far west as you go, to down to Florida, to as east as here, South Carolina, and as north as uh, Tennessee. Seven states that all touch each other. This region that we're part of here in the southeast corner have won 24 of the last 32 football or baseball national championships. Those sports are being dominated by the southeast, and basketball is getting even better. That takes me to the Gamecocks. Right, may not be great news for South Carolina that the SEC is just getting better and better when it comes to baseball. Ray Tanner had a a sit-down interview over the weekend with the Big Spur. And I don't know if there's any video, but we do have the quotes. He said, in regards to bringing back Mark Kingston and his outlook on the program this year, Ray Tanner said, we beat Ole Miss two out of three, and they're playing for the national championship. This was before they finished things off yesterday. He continued and said, we beat Texas two out of three. They were in the College World Series. We had a really good chance to beat Texas A&M two out of three but beat them once. We won one game less than Ole Miss in the SEC. There's a fine line between where you are and where you could be. At the end of the day, the bottom line is the bottom line. I will say, and I don't normally go this way, the situation he encountered, he being Mark Kingston, with that pitching staff was as challenging as anything I've seen across a lot of sports. Ole Miss had one of their top pitchers go down. They're playing for a national championship. Mississippi State had their ace go down, and they didn't make the SEC tournament. There's a fine line. The injury component to this season certainly resonated with me. This was a year we weren't happy about with our baseball program, but there were some circumstances I certainly understood. It doesn't mean I'm happy about it, but it was a situation I took under consideration for sure. Ray Tanner's comments for the first time on Mark Kingston and the baseball program. As the quotes went on, there was some good, fair stuff in there. But to start off by saying, hey, we beat Ole Miss two out of three, and they're the national champs. All right, are they going to hand you a trophy as well? Because I don't think that's how sports work. It takes more than winning uh, one weekend. It's not uh, A beats uh, B, B beats C, therefore A is better than C. I had a lot of friends who used to do that growing up. Their NFL team would beat the Super Bowl champ that year, and hey, we're just as good. Patriots won the Super Bowl. We beat them this year. We're essentially Super Bowl champs. That's not really how it works. Congratulations on your wins against Ole Miss and uh, that you took two out of three from Texas and they had a better year than you or that you almost. That was the best part of the quote. We had a really good chance to beat Texas A&M two out of three, but we only won one. That's pretty good. We We had a pretty good chance. That's what we're shooting for, the fact that you had a a pretty good chance to win a series against a conference team. Maybe next year we'll get them. As the quotes went on, it sounded a little bit better. But for a team that won back-to-back national championships less than 15 years ago to now be settling for, hey, we won a series against a team that did pretty well in the College World Series. We're on our way. That's pretty good. That's a little troubling to me. The SEC will only continue to get better when it comes to baseball. Because, by the way, the team that Ole Miss beat over the weekend, Oklahoma, yeah, they'll be in the conference in a couple of years. And Oklahoma 
is investing $30 million into their baseball facilities to join the SEC. That's pretty good. Texas, historically a good baseball program. Yeah, they're joining the SEC as well. The SEC is only going to get better. Now, in regards to this championship, please, I have to give this PSA every time. Don't give me, you know, save me the spiel about, hey, this is why we should extend the playoffs, expand the playoffs in college football. Because Ole Miss was the last team in the field. They had a losing record in the SEC, and look at that. They went and won a national championship. This is why we need to give more teams a chance in football every time we get a champion. We get a Cinderella run in college basketball, and everybody says, oh, expand the college football playoff. Now Ole Miss has a bit of a Cinderella run, and I saw plenty of people talking over the weekend online at least of saying, this is why we need to expand the college football playoff. Because otherwise, we'll never have a story like Ole Miss. You're not going to have a story like that anyways. The average margin of victory in the playoff games we know in college football, it's over two touchdowns. They're blowouts already. Adding more teams isn't going to help that. It's apples and oranges to compare football to really any other sport. And by the way, who still won the national championship? The SEC. So if you want to expand the college football playoff, sure, you could give a Texas A&M a better chance. Does that really make things better? Like, all right, Alabama didn't win, but uh, Texas A&M did. We're already dealing with that. And Alabama didn't win, but, oh, LSU had a historically good year. Oh, Alabama didn't win, but, oh, Georgia got their first championship in 40 years. They're all coming from the SEC anyways. Ole Miss is not some sort of, you know, they're Cinderella in the, in the sense of their seating. But they came from the best conference of baseball. And this isn't, uh, I don't know, like Appalachian State going to a national championship. They're still from the SEC. And if we expand the college football playoff, I'm sure we'll get the same results. Now, like a Texas A&M, if anybody were to surprise you, a Texas A&M would be the team. It'd still be somebody from the SEC. It just may not be Alabama. Although, I've always said that expanding the playoffs will have no impact on our champions. Because football is a different game. It's a game of physicality. You can have all the heart, desire, fight in the world. It doesn't matter when you line up against somebody who's bigger and better and stronger than you. It's a different animal when it comes to physicality. Basketball, you can get hot. We see it in March Madness all the time. They may be taller than you. They may be more athletic. They may be quicker. They may just be more talented. But you shoot 55% from beyond the arc, that's going to be hard to beat. All right, it's hard to defend. We see Cinderella's win in March Madness all the time because it comes down to three-point shooting. Why do you think we had such a wide range of outcomes in the NBA playoffs this year? One night, Team A gets blown out. The next night, they blow out Team B because everyone's just shooting threes, and it's so inconsistent. In baseball, they always say your momentum's only as good as your next day's starting pitcher. You get a hot starting pitcher, you can carry that guy, even in baseball, in Major League Baseball. right? You get an ace pitching well, Kurt Schilling, carries a team to a World Series. You get on the back of your star, and you know, carry us in October. Same at college, uh, the college baseball. You're only as good as your next day's starting pitcher. You get a pitching staff that's dealing at the right time of the year, right? you, you can go win a championship. That was the case with Ole Miss. Ole Miss has played the best baseball in the country over the past month. They won a national championship. They weren't the best team in the regular season. Football, that doesn't really happen. You don't take a team that was under 500 and say, hey, they could go on a Cinderella run in the playoff. We don't get that very often. Even in the NFL. right? How often does a team sneak into the playoffs, the Steelers last year, the Eagles? That, no, they got blown out. The last two teams to get in, the Steelers and the Eagles, they, lost, they were down 30 in their two playoff games last year. It doesn't happen in football because it's just more about physicality. You ever watch a boxing match where one guy's a lot bigger than the other and, like, the little, the little guy, you think, oh, he has no shot, and somehow he pulls off a surprise win? It never happens. You ever out at the bar and you see a little guy pick a fight with a big guy and, like, this isn't going to go well? Do you ever think, like, wow, this little guy can actually beat him? And then he does. Like, he knocks out the big dude that's, like, 6'5 and towering over him? Usually not. I grew up the youngest of three boys, so I know it very well. I could have all the heart and desire and 
get a running head start. I want to go beat the crap out of my brothers, and maybe I get a few good hits in. But by the end, it was me on the floor, and them victorious towering over me. Didn't matter if I wanted it more, or I had more energy that day, or I had a more desire or drive. They're just bigger than me. They beat the crap out of me. Same idea in football. You could have a great game plan, and you could be all fired up and give a great speech in the locker room, and then you go out there and say, oh, yeah, it's Alabama. And they're bigger, and they're stronger, and they're faster than you, and they're just much better than you. They get the best players in the country. Don't confuse what we see in basketball or baseball from time to time, thinking that, hey, this could happen in college football. It can't. It won't. You expand the college football playoff, we're just delaying the inevitable. Alabama's still going to win a bunch of championships. Most of the championships will come from the SEC, and they'll still be a lot of blowouts, just more of them. Right now, the average margin is already like 17 points in these playoff games. You think the solution is to add more mediocre teams to try to beat Alabama or Georgia or LSU? It's only going to give us more blowouts. But congratulations to Ole Miss on their first national championship. SEC baseball continues to dominate that sport, and the SEC continues to become a monopoly in college sports. Speaking of baseball, when we come back, Freddie Freeman made his emotional return to Atlanta. We got all the sound for you. We'll break it all down when we come back. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Freddie Freeman made his emotional return to Atlanta over the weekend. We'll break it all down and get to all the sound of it here on the Morrow Midday Show at Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. And I said the Braves, they really had to prove something here this past week. They did take three out of four against the Giants. That was good. Had a chance to win the series against the Dodgers. How they lost that game last night, I do not know. That was brutal. But after this past week, they did have a winning record. They went four and three against two of the better teams in the NL. So, you know, as a Braves fan, you take it. Now you get the Phillies after a day off today, and they just lost Bryce Harper, so you should be able to win that series. And you're, you know, doing better. Like I said, you got to start beating some teams with winning records. Uh, you know, did pretty well this past week. Four and three at home, Giants-Dodgers, eh, you'll take it. It could be worse. Especially with the fact that you could have won last night. You go five and two, that's a lot better of a week. But nonetheless... Freddie Freeman made the uh, the, the uh, dramatic emotional return to Atlanta. We got all sorts of sound from Freddie. Let's run through it. Here's how it sounded when Freddie came to the plate for the first time. Now, this probably plays better on TV because it's mostly visual, but you can hear the ovation he got from the crowd. You'll hear the introduction, and then, of course, the crowd give him a standing O as he uh, takes his time getting into the batter's box. Here's how Freddie Freeman was received in his first at-bat back in Atlanta, now as a member of the Dodgers Friday night.
went on even longer than that. And you could hear fans chanting, Freddie, the Oregon, by the way, Oregon always sounds so good at a baseball stadium, and they're playing We Are the Champions. That's nice. Nice ovation for Freddie. People chanting his name. I thought I did hear a, a mixture of boos in there. There were some boos. Right? Yeah. There were some boos. Yeah, it depended on the day that, uh, that you saw the clips from. Yeah, but there was a mixture of boos and cheers. I think it's good to have that mixture, a little combo. Yeah. I, look, I got no problem. I mean, we'll dive further into it in just a moment, but I have no problem. He should be well-received, at least that first at-bat. You know, like Johnny Damon, I'm a Red Sox fan. Johnny Damon helped the, uh, the Red Sox break the curse. Then he went to the Yankees. First at-bat back at Fenway, standing ovation. Second at-bat, okay, now he's a Yankee. He's no longer a Red Sox. Uh, you boom the rest of his career when it comes to Fenway. Nomar, I don't think, got booed. But I remember his first at-bat, he came back with the Dodgers. Same idea, standing ovation really long. And then the rest of the game, the rest of the series, all right, now he's, just, he's the other team. I don't, know if they, I don't know if the fans necessarily booed him, but you don't give him that big ovation like you do your, for your own home team. Freddie Freeman got a nice ovation. There were more boos mixed in as the weekend went on, certainly. And I thought I heard some there, because remember, we talked about it on Friday. Is he going to be uh, booed or cheered in his first at-bat or just throughout the night? And I would say overwhelmingly cheered there in the first at-bat, but I thought he did hear a smattering of boos mixed in. Here was Ian Anderson, who was the pitcher, right? the, the pitcher. As the starting pitcher, you always you give that moment to the hitter coming back. You let him take his time out of the box. You step off the rubber. You stall for him. Give him his moment. Here was Ian Anderson uh, after the game talking about the uh, Freddie Freeman ovation. You know, you knew it was going to be a big moment. Um, that's, you know, that's part of the reason why we all love playing here. We knew the fans were going to give him a great reception, and he deserved every second of it. So, um, But, you know, it's tough to kind of focus back in. And, um, you know, I kind of felt like I was underwater in the first inning a little bit. Just couldn't move in a little slow. Couldn't, couldn't figure it out. That could be hard to adjust. It throws your whole rhythm and routine off. You give a guy about two minutes, and Freddie's deserving of it, but still as a pitcher, right, in the middle of your, your inning just when you're getting going. Uh, it's like a, a human rain delay. Here was Freddie Freeman. So when he first arrived on Friday before the game, he had a press conference. It was about 16 minutes. You could find the uh, full thing online. Very emotional. When he first walked into the media room, he had to excuse himself and say, give me a moment. A lot of tears, a lot of dead air, in between words spoken. Here was uh, the start of the press conference when Freddie was talking about what it meant to be back in Atlanta, even as uh, the opposition playing the Braves. Here's uh, Freddie from his press conference before the start of the series on Friday. I don't know all the emotions. Uh, it's hard to put into words. I'm just happy to be back. Um, This organization, the people, the media people who have covered my family with grace and love over the last 12 years, it's hard. The fans, since I was 20 years old, the ones that saw me when I was 17 in Gulf Coast League, in Rome, Georgia, 2008. Myrtle Beach in Pearl, Mississippi in 2009, and Gwinnett. Everyone helped me be who I am today. I love the Braves organization with all my heart. 
That will never change. That was Freddie in his press conference Friday. Later on in the same press conference, he was asked about potential regrets. Did you need closure in coming back here to Atlanta now as a member of the Dodgers? Here's how Freddie responded to the idea of uh, regrets of how everything played out this offseason that led him to joining the Dodgers. I have no regrets, um, and I'm not looking for closure. There's nothing to close for me here. Why would I close such a special time in 15 years, you know, that I spent here? And there's, for me, nothing to close. Um, I think that the regret question is a whole different side of the story that I'm not, I'm not here to talk about because I think one-on-one, with people I've talked to, that's a whole, that's a that's a different side of it. Because um, if I got into that, we would be here a long time, <laughs> and that emotion would change big time. So, um, well, help me stop crying a little bit. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I think people that know me know a little bit about what happened a few months ago, so I'm just going to leave it at that. That is very intriguing what he says there at the end about how things went down this offseason. We'll circle back to that in just a moment. But here was uh, the last clip we will play for you. Freddie Freeman, this was on the field. He had just gotten his World Series ring. Now, usually... Right, this clip may be a little bit longer than one we would play, but I think it's worthwhile to hear the, the full thing of what Freddie had to say on the field Friday night when he was given his World Series ring. Here was uh, Freddie addressing the crowd in the stadium Friday night in his return to Atlanta. Last time I was on this field, there was a big stage in the middle of this field because we accomplished something so special. From the bottom of my heart, my family's heart, we thank you for the support that you've shown my family and I for the last 12 years. There's not enough words to describe everything that's gone on in the last 12 years. You guys supporting me, my family. I'm just so thrilled to be back and to see all you guys again. Um, I know I got a different uniform on, but I still love each and every one of you guys. This is one of the hardest days of my life, but one of the most amazing days of my life. So bear with me as I cry a lot throughout this game, tomorrow's game and the next games, um, because this city, this organization, all of Braves country that covers so many states, um, 
just an ultimate gratitude for each and every one of you. And I just thank you and I love each and every one of you guys. And I continue to look forward to coming back each year and seeing you, but especially this weekend after we reached the pinnacle last year of winning that World Series. I've been looking forward to this for three months. Um, it's been a hard day, a very emotional day. And I know the whole weekend's gonna be very emotional, but help me get through it. <laughs> help me get my, help my family get through this too, because this is gonna be hard, but we love you guys, always will. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you've shown my family and I over the last 12 years. That was Freddie on the field Friday night. Then we went out and actually played baseball. You know what they say, um, what's the saying? A, a bad day at the ballpark beats a good day in the office or a good day at work, something along those lines. So like Freddie was saying, you know, it's a hard day. There's going to be a lot of tears. You know, at the end of the day, it's still hard to beat playing baseball over the weekend. Which, by the way, just to juxtapose, I have no issue with the emotions and with Freddie being overly emotional and, and the tears and everything. No problem. That's fine. But I do think it's interesting that Lou Gehrig gave one of the more iconic speeches in baseball where he had announced his retirement during his playing days with the ailment that led to his death. That at the time, we didn't, it was named after him. At the time, it was new. We didn't know what this was. I'm sure it was very scary. And he went out there at Yankee Stadium and announced his retirement. You know, today, today, I consider, consider myself luckiest man, yada, yada, yada. I don't think he shed a tear either. Freddie Freeman's coming back with $160 million in his pocket to play a regular season game on a first-place team and can't get through the press conference. I just think it's an interesting juxtaposition. Nonetheless, I understand the emotions for Freddie Freeman. All right, coming up in that organization, spending 15 years there. And Freddie is beloved in the Braves organization, and he's always represented himself really well and seems to be a great guy, and obviously he's a great player. And it's a shame that he's not with the Braves. I was uh, banging on the table here all offseason about how he's the type of guy that needs to end his career with the Braves, he should be that Derek Jeter or really a Chipper Jones for the Braves. He should be the guy that spends his entire career there. But I do think without knowing all of the details, just what we know from the outside looking in, I think the reason why he's not a Brave is on him. And I said it at the time. Now, I think they called uh, the, the Braves called Freeman's bluff. And everybody will blame Scott Boris and sure, right, maybe rightfully so, but the agent works for the player. And if the agent was doing anything that the player disagreed with, that should be a problem. That shouldn't happen. And last I checked, which was over the weekend, Freddie Freeman's agent is still Scott Boris. If he was really upset with what his agent did, if he thought he, his agent betrayed him, screwed him out of whatever he truly wanted, acted on his own without Freddie's okay, any of that, wouldn't you change your agent? Especially now that you just signed a contract, you hope you, you don't need an agent now for the next seven years, whatever it is. If you were really that ticked off in your agent's actions, I mean, wouldn't you go look for another agent? Wouldn't you dissolve that relationship? The agent works for the player. Let's not forget that. And I would hope, especially somebody like Scott Boris, is not doing anything without at least first running it by, if not asking, if not getting the okay from Freddie. I think at minimum, you at least tell him, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is the deal. This is what's happening. You want to tell me Scott Boris maybe misled him, left out a pertinent piece of information, didn't tell him, you know, the Braves were 
we're serious or we're ready to go in another direction? I don't know. But the agent works for the player, so I can't completely blame Scott Boris. He should be doing whatever, you know, whatever he's doing should be in connection with Freeman. I could not find the audio when I went back to look for it, but we played at the time when Chipper Jones went on Atlanta radio and kind of foreshadowed it all. And he said, I do not agree with the way that this was handled on Freddie's side. If you want to play in Atlanta, you play in Atlanta. You may take a little less to be happy and play in a place that is comfortable for you. The second that Freddie told me he rejected the five-year, $135 million deal, I told him, you are playing a very dangerous game. You go out on the free agent market, you get courted by all the pretty girls that are on the block, chances are you're not going to come back. If you take your time waiting on that six-year, Atlanta has a job to do. And Chipper was right. And that's how it played out. Right? As the saying goes, play, what is it, play silly games, win silly prizes, or play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Like, if you really wanted to stay in Atlanta, just sign the deal. They offered you $135 million for five years. You ended up getting one more year from L.A., and the average uh, money per year, I think, would have been more in Atlanta. So this is what happens. It's almost like in a relationship, when you don't listen to the person telling you about what you need to do differently, and you don't really take it seriously. And so in that sense, you almost kind of call their bluff as well. And then one day, you come home from work, and they moved out of the house. And they say, you should have listened. I told you, I don't like that, that you do this, this, or that. This needs to change or the relationship's going to work. And you just always ignored it and thought, no, 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 everything's fine. And then here's your reality. You're no longer in that relationship. For Freddie Freeman, right, in this past offseason, Braves eventually called your bluff. You were trying to hold out, playing a little hardball to get that six-year, turn down the offer of five years, 135 mil. And as I said at the time, if you really want to be somewhere, you'll do what you have to to be there. I really wanted to be a broadcaster. Here I am. I took, uh, I did uh, four internships. You find a way to make it work. Right? If you really want to do it, you'll find a way to, to be there. Right? Whatever you got to do. In a relationship, if you really want to uh, court that female, you'll do whatever it takes, even if you come off a little desperate at times. Like if you really want something, you go for it. You go do it. You'll sacrifice certain things. You sacrifice a lot to make sure your kids are happy because that's what you want as a parent. If you really want to be in Atlanta, you sign that contract. You'll sacrifice that sixth year or a little, a few extra millions when you're already a millionaire if you really wanted to be in Atlanta. Or if it's really about the money, then it's about the money, and it seemed to be that's what it came down to. I did like yesterday that when Freddie got the uh, the base hit, right, looked like he was going to have the winning hit in the top of the 10th, and then Matt Olson responded, Freddie's replacement, and said, not so fast, and he got the, the base hit. But then, of course, Jansen was the one who blew the save in the ninth, former Dodger closer, and Craig Kimbrell was the one that got the win, for the Dodgers and Extras, former Braves closer. It was uh, an interesting uh, weekend series. The Braves should have won the weekend. They coughed it up last night. That was a brutal loss. And we'll see what happens the next time these two get together. And we'll see what happens the next time Freddie comes to town. The first one, of course, always very emotional. Well, he's going to be a Dodger for the next five and a half years. He'll be coming to Atlanta more often. We'll see if things just blend into, oh, yeah, there's the guy in the Dodgers, kind of like it has for other guys in the past. Uh, by the way, when we come back, a cliche is proven true once again in baseball. We'll get to that coming up. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Morrow Midday Show at Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. 
Talking about Freddie Freeman's return to Atlanta. On Twitter, Brad said, uh, after this past weekend, there's definitely something missing from the Freddie situation that the public doesn't know about. Yeah, I thought the most interesting part was when Freddie said, if I got into that, we'd be here a long time. That emotion would change big time. Talking about, you know, no, no longer would he be crying, he'd probably be upset. And he also, that was the only time they really stopped crying in that 16-minute press conference. The obvious explanation would be, like, you know, Scott Boris did him wrong as his agent. He let him down. But, again, I, maybe maybe the agent went rogue, but the agent's supposed to be working for the player. And if the player was truly that ticked off, I don't know, if I was Freddie, like, I think I'd make a change. Like, forget you. You screwed me over. I wanted to go back to Atlanta. And then you blew that for me. And we saw how emotional he was over the weekend. Seems like that would be a big deal. I'd say, I'm not working with you anymore. Get out of here. You, you, you didn't do what I said. You're supposed to be working for me. But who knows what was going on behind closed doors. You can always join the conversation, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. Let's go to the phones. Lou is with us. Lou, what's going on? How are you? I'm good. Thanks. And I'm glad you brought up the comparison of Lou Gehrig's uh, retirement speech when he was, you know, dying. Yeah. Uh, a similar was uh, Joe DiMaggio announced his retirement at a, at a press conference, I believe, and it was very uh, low-key about it. He just said it. You know, I got injuries. I kind of suck, so that's it. I'm over. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another comparison that occurred to me when Freddie Freeman was uh, crying his eyes out uh, was uh, when Mike Schmidt retired, announced his retirement. Mm-hmm. He cried like a baby too. If you if you get a chance, maybe look up a clip of Mike Schmidt's retirement announcement. Uh, it was a press conference, and he he was crying about you know little league in Ohio and this that the other and playing college at uh, wherever he was, uh, Ohio U, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do and, see uh, I see photos here just by Googling it of uh, very emotional Mike Schmidt. I'll have to check out that video. Yeah, well, you know, it might it might be a bit long, but uh, Freeman reminded me of Mike Schmidt. And by extreme uh, contrast, you know, Garrig and DiMaggio in uh, not identical situations, but, you know, kind of similar. Yeah, right. Well, I, I, I didn't know this other stuff about the uh, the contract, uh, you know, being perhaps controversial that he that he left Atlanta in in some way that maybe he didn't want. Uh, that's that's very interesting too. I'll, I'll be listening in to, to get some more details if it ever comes out. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get the uh, you know the true rundown of what actually happened behind the uh, behind closed doors, but obviously things seem to not have gone exactly how Freddie had hoped, but. You know, the Braves had that contract on the table that he turned down. So I think if you really want to go back to Atlanta, uh, it's not. I'm not going to completely put the, the onus or the blame on somebody else like the Braves or an agent. Freddie had his opportunity. He turned down that contract, seemingly wanting more. Yeah, not to, uh, you say Boris is his uh, agent? Yeah. Okay, does Boris have the authority, like power of attorney, to sign a contract on the player's behalf and he's just stuck with it? I would imagine okay. no. The player get final approval, like, oh, whoa, wait a minute here. Yeah, no, I would well, think I the player would have to have final say. I kind of want similar money, but I wanted to stay in Atlanta. Right. Now, I think the player would have to have final say in that scenario. And, uh, of course, you know, the agent works for the player. So you're trying to get the best deal for the guy. Now, the Dodgers came afterwards, right? If we rehash the history from March, the Braves were the ones that shut the door. They're the ones that went the other direction and said, all right, forget this. You don't want our deal? That's our, our price? We'll go get Matt Olson." And according to reports, you know, Freeman was stunned when he learned of the Matt Olson trade, which I go back to what I said last segment about, you know, bluffing, and they called your bluff. And maybe he thought, like, oh, they would never do that to me. 
They would never go get somebody else, or at least they'd give me a heads up or, you know, give me a last chance. They'd be forthright. A lot of times, like at your company, you may have a good relationship with your boss. He's not your friend. Because don't think that if he's got to fire you or do something, whatever's best for the company, he's got to lay you off, he'll gladly do it. Whatever's best for the company. As they say, it's not personal, it's, it's business. Same idea here. Like, Freddie, you may have had a great relationship. You may have been a longtime brave. Don't think that Alex Anthopoulos was going to call you and say, like, hey, last chance, otherwise we're about to do this trade for Matt Olson. No, no, no. You messed around. You hung around out there too long. You had a chance to sign your contract. The Braves, we were getting close to the season. They're thinking, all right, if, if Freddie's not going to, we're not going to up our price. We've got to go get somebody else. And they swung a deal while they could. So who knows what truly happened, but I can't completely absolve uh, Freddie of any sort of, of blame because you had the option. Five-year contract, you turned it down. You wanted to go down that road knowing that this was a possibility like Chipper Jones warned you. And here's what happened. You're in the Dodgers. Now, I know this is very emotional returning after 15 years. Look, Mike Schmidt, DiMaggio, those examples, I mean, those are retirement speeches. We're not even talking about retiring. He's still playing. He just happens to come back to the team that he used to play for in another team. I'm not trying to be too hard on Freddie saying he shouldn't have cried. I get it. It's emotional. It's a tough spot. I just found it interesting. That's all. I was just bringing up a point that, uh, you know, you think back to, like, Lou Gehrig, and he was very stoic. And then Freddie this past weekend wasn't even retiring. He was just coming back to Atlanta, and it was a very tough weekend for him. At least the Dodgers won two out of three. We'll get to that baseball cliche coming up that has rung, uh, it's played out to be true once again. And we'll do that next. It's more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spin lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's a gas. Wrapping up hour one of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. There's an old cliche in baseball. I always say cliches are, are cliches for a reason. Why do they become cliches? Because we say them all the time. That's what a cliche is. But why do we say them all the time? Because they're usually pretty true. You know the same things your parents would always tell you growing up? It was probably good advice, too. That's why they're always repeating it to you. So the, the old, one of the old cliches in baseball is you, you can't win a division in April, but you can lose a division in April. Over the weekend, I was looking some things up since May 10th. So now we're talking, you know, the last uh, six to seven weeks here, month and a half. Best record since May 10th. The Yankees still have the best record in baseball, 33-12. and 12. But the second best record in baseball during that time is the Red Sox, 32-12. and 12. The Braves have the third best record in baseball since then, 28-16. Then the Astros, 27-16. Then the Mets, 27-17. Dodgers, 26-18. Point being... That if the season started May 10th, the Braves would be in first place right now with a game lead over the Mets. In fact, the Braves would have the best record in the NL right now. And if the season had just started on May 10th, the Red Sox would only be a half game behind the Yankees. As historic of a season as the Yankees are having right now, over the past 45 games, they're a half game better than Boston. Yet when you look at the standings, the Yankees have an 11-game lead in the division. They're sitting comfortably. And when you look at the National League East, the Mets still have a five-game lead over the Braves, and the Braves are battling for a wild-card spot. The Braves got off to such a slow start. The Red Sox were horrendous in April, and the Mets and the Yankees were playing good baseball from opening day. You don't necessarily win a division in April, but you can lose it. Now, look, the Braves, it's still only five games. We're not even at the All-Star break, so they very much could still win this division. But since May 10th, they have the best record in the NL. 
You wouldn't know it right now because they're competing for a wild card spot. You can cost yourself with a slow start. We'll see if that's the case for a couple of these teams. Hour two next. WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, golf continues to turn into college sports, and I'll explain why in just a few moments. Plus, the Charlotte Hornets continue to embarrass themselves. We'll get to that in a little bit. Later on this afternoon, we'll touch on the Deshaun Watson situation with his hearing coming up tomorrow with the NFL. And which college football teams are at a crossroads? I think Clemson may be the most interesting team in college football this year. I've, I've said that already. But coming up later on, we'll further examine why and look at some teams that are at a fork in the road this year when it comes to college football. Who else may be other than Clemson? I just saw this. Johnny Depp is going to uh, come back as Captain Jack for the Pirates movies. And... Uh, a $301 million deal. Wow. Good for Johnny. Getting back out there. Can't wait to see you, Captain Jack. Can't wait. That's according to the New York Post. Oh, uh, well. Grain of salt. Grain of salt, <laughs> folks. Grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, how about that? He's doing all right. Signed a $300 mil do- million dollar deal. I don't know if you saw a video of... Uh, and. You know, this is this is no disrespect. I shop at TJ Maxx and Marshalls all the time. I don't know if you saw a video. People were catching Amber Heard shopping in a TJ Maxx. Uh, people that, yeah. are a little worried about uh, Miss Heard right now with uh, the amount of money she had to pay yeah. uh, to Johnny Depp. So <laughs> things aren't looking on the up and up for Miss Heard. I'm glad cameras weren't following me around this weekend <laughs> when I was looking for something to get for the upcoming wedding. Oh, Marshalls is the place to go. I'm yeah. telling you, if you need a quick shirt for something, boom, go to Marshalls. I do love all those stores. Yeah. Marshalls, yeah, TJ Maxx, absolutely. I went to five different stores this, over the weekend. Eh, couldn't really find anything uh, No, find anything great. No? Eh, I was a little disappointed. You go with the high water look? Were you looking for a high water no, look? No, not really. Ah. I don't think I'm going to go that way. Jeez. I am curious, though. <laughs> I ended up uh, grabbing a, a seersucker jacket, though. Ooh. I've always liked seersucker. Nice. So now I got a little seersucker in the closet. Maybe we'll go with that, with a seersucker jacket uh, for the wedding upcoming. Get the top hat as well. You just yeah, can't match it I, all. I, believe you me, I was looking at some of the hats <laughs> at one of those places I was in. They had some nice uh, quasi fedoras. I'm not against a fedora. I think very few people can pull off a fedora, but I'll, I'll throw a fedora on It's no an problem. acquired taste. Yeah. It's an acquired taste. I like a good fedora. But, anyways, I went to five stores. I won't bore you with the details. Problem is, they all have like the same stuff. Yeah. I saw no salmon. I saw no bright <laughs> colors. I saw one seersucker, and I got it. Otherwise, every, three there's three shades of blue, like really light blue, really dark blue, or in between. Then there's, of course, black, and then you have gray. Uh, every, I went to five different stores. 
what do you got for you know for Jack for Blazers? That's what they show me. And this is it. We got like three colors. We need some more creativity. I I would say you should go online, yeah. find the blazer you want, and then take it you know to have it fit. Well, see that's the problem. I'm very last minute and everything. That's a good point. Yeah, it's coming up actually. Yeah, <laughs> I only have a few it. days. That was that, so I do take I accept some responsibility in all of this. That was one of the conversations I had in one of the stores. They said, "Well, when do you need it by?" And I said, uh, "Like a week from now." <laughs> and they said, "Oh." They said, did they just tell you about it? And I said, no, I knew about this wedding. I'm just, I'm last minute. Were you a plus one that yeah. got added? <laughs> yeah, right. They just trying to fill numbers? You a seat filler? And I said, no, nah, I knew about it. I just waited. <laughs> I figured I could walk into the store and grab something. Now, I am an awkward size, so, you know, I probably need anything tailored. But I thought, ah, I'll get away with it. But, yeah, I probably waited too long. I'm still shot. Don't worry. I'm still in the market. I'm still looking. I'll find something. I'll put it all together. No, I'll make that some homework for me uh, you know, throughout this <laughs> week right. as well. Make sure we can find you. Which kids, you need to be looking good, Luke. need to be looking good at the wedding. Yeah, now, if you go right. with a fedora, I mean, uh, that'd be Woo. phenomenal just to add everything together. But oh, it is please. an acquired taste. It is. Go with the fedora, please. You want to look fedora. Blow the house down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well done. Hey, I was out over the weekend. I was at a place. And uh, it's a good place. It's, this isn't. This isn't, it's probably going to sound like me whining or complaining. That's not the case. It's just more about principle. I went out to a place the other, the other night, not around here, and uh, I sit down, and they have a few beers on tap. I like to go with a reliable – whenever I go out to eat, mm. I always want to get something. I'm not very adventurous when I go out to eat because that ruins the whole experience. Sure. I don't want to go to a restaurant and like, oh, I've never had this before. Let me try it. And then it's a lousy meal. It's like, ah, oh, man, I'm still hungry. Like, I didn't have a good experience going out. I spent money on this. So when I go out to eat, I want to get something that I already know I like. I won't get too adventurous. I'll try something if it's not too crazy. But typically, I like to, you know, I go with Old Reliable. So I'm looking at the beers on tap. Eh, I really only knew one. So I got a Modelo. Okay. Classic. Yeah, I like Modelo. No problem. So I'm drinking my Modelo. I get food as well. The guy comes over. And he says, uh, man, you should really try one of the local beers. And I said, okay, well, I don't really know any of them. And he's giving me the rundown. Yeah, this is similar to this, yada, 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 yada. He gives me, there's like five of them. Okay, yeah, I said, "Uh, maybe I'll try them at some point. And then he cracks open. They're not far from closing. You know, I always go into places before they close. (laughs) So they're not far from closing. So they're winding down. The place isn't very busy. He goes into like the the fridge, and he gives me a can, a can of of beer. And he cracks it up. He says, try this. He said, if you don't like it, we'll throw it out. I said, okay, mm. I still have my Modelo. Now, I'm thinking in my head, I'm a little hesitant because, A, you know, I don't know if I'm going to like it. Right. B, once I take a sip, are they going to put this on my tab? Now, look, again, it's like a $6 <laughs> beer, so I'm not arguing about the money. It's the principle, though. Is this guy trying to foist another drink onto my tab by yeah. this, with this ploy of, hey, try this one? He didn't specify. He didn't say, like, hey, it's on the house. He said, try it. If you don't like it, just throw it out. And I figured, okay, like, I, I guess I'm in the clear. So I tried the beer, and it, was, it wasn't bad, and I drank most of it before I left. And then sure enough, when the tab came, the beer was on there. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's an old bartender trick right there. Mm, oh, yeah, hey, try sneaky. this one. See if you like it. And, you, and if you say, oh, yeah, I think I'll do one of those. Yeah. Oh, you can just keep that one. Boom, yeah. add it to the tab. It's like if you're at a uh, resort with a floater, you know, for one of your, uh, you know, strawberry daiquiri. You're a big daiquiri Oh, guy. I love a daiquiri. I always would say, hey, you want a floater on that? And I never specify how much it is. And yeah. they'll be like, yeah, yeah, throw a floater on there. Five dollars extra. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Here you go. So yeah, that's a that's an old bartender trick. Now I didn't say anything, and I paid it, and I wasn't going to argue because I really didn't care. Although here I am talking about it on the radio instead, <laughs> but uh, it really wasn't. It was six bucks. So like whatever, you know. I spend that on donuts. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, it was just the it's just the principle. Like I didn't order that. What are you putting on my tab for? 
I thought you were giving that to me for free. He should have said, yeah, it's on the house. Don't worry about it. Right, if you don't try right, it, right. throw it out. Yeah. And they're all nice over there, and I'm not going to say the place because I do like the place. I'll go back. I really i am not, like, upset about it. It's just the I, the principle of it all. Unless I order it, don't be putting it on my tab if you're going to give it to me. A little sneaky move. Hey, try this beer. Oh, by the way, you know what six bucks. All right, that's all a classic move. That's like uh, what Kramer would always do in Seinfeld when Jerry would say, can you return my uh, whatever, my Walkman? And then Kramer would turn and say, by the way, it was broken when I got it. Right? No, it wasn't. That's the old classic, uh, you just throw it back on them. All right, that'll be $6. Anyways, it was a good, good, uh, it was a good time, though, and uh, good, good spot. I won't, uh, I won't give you the name. You, now, now, you did enjoy the beer that he gave you, it right? It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad? I don't know if I would drink it again. It was okay. like, uh, you know, it was an IPA. I'm not a big IPA guy. Nice. Oh, yeah, we were talking about that on Friday. I'm not a big beer snob. I do enjoy an IPA, though. It's a little heavier. Uh, it's nicer. not a big IPA guy. That's the problem with a lot of – I haven't tried a lot of the local beers because a lot of them are like IPAs, and I don't know. They're all – people tell me about these local beers, and you know, they could be a little snobby. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I get nervous. Know. Like yeah. when, when you're telling me about all these things, I'm like, just, eh, just yeah. pick. I don't know. I know. I got a buddy. I went over to his place. He was busting out like, this is a really aged bottle. I've had this for 10 <laughs> years. Like, I don't know. Just <laughs> – does it taste good? All right, just give it to me. Like, I don't care. Uh, yeah, it's not my deal. I got uncles and relatives that are really into wine. They make their own sure. wine, and, you know, you go out to eat, and you know, they pour it, and they swish it around, and they have to smell it. Like, I don't, just give it. Does it taste good? I'll, I'll sip it. I don't know. I don't know what these people are doing at the table. They're swishing around the wine. They're sniffing it. Like, that tells you. They take a little sip. Uh, would you ever be bold enough to try the wine and then send it back? When they're waiting there at Ooh, the table? No, I, I well look, I've sent a couple steaks back that oh, weren't yeah? up to my uh yeah, that weren't up to my standards. Nice you can do that at nice steak places though. If you're going to a, you know, an average, whatever. No, I would never send the wine back because I don't know the difference. It's the it's yeah. classic parks and rec ride. I'll t- I'll, I'll take your cheapest bottle of wine because <laughs> I don't know the difference. <laughs> exactly. It's true. But I, I have had to you know, I was at a nice restaurant in uh, New York with my brother and uh the sommelier came over and was giving us all the wines and everything. And I didn't realize, yeah, you got to, sh- you know, twirl it, back teeth, mm-hmm. front teeth, and then take a deep breath in. I mean, I was like, well, this seems like a little much. Oh, what absolutely. Are we doing? And then they wait there just to make sure, <laughs> like, is it okay? Is this satisfactory? Who's the person that's sitting at the table saying, you know what? I don't like it. I know you opened the bottle. Uh, give me something else. If the salad's not on the side, I'll send it back. <laughs> that's right. So anyways, that was my weekend. Um, hey, speaking of uh, over the weekend. I've continued to say that golf, I think golf's continuing to be a lot, they're becoming a lot like college sports. And I think an, another example from over the weekend. But in the sense that college football, specifically, uh, where we're only focusing on the bowl, or pardon me, not the bowl games, the playoff games, and the big games in the regular season. The playoff, and I'm a fan of the four-team playoff, it's better than the old BCS system, but what it has done is not only render the bowl games largely irrelevant, it's also rendered most of the regular season largely irrelevant as well. And I think what we're seeing here in this uh, division in the golf world, I've said the same thing. The Travelers was going on this past weekend. Came down to a pretty exciting finish yesterday. But I don't think these typical events will drum up, if maybe they already are not, but I don't think they'll drum up any sort of interest. We'll only care about the majors. Now that the two sides are divided, the tours are watered down a bit, you only care about those big events when they all come back together to play, the four majors, just like the playoff games. Another way in which golf continues to become more like uh, college sports is that I saw this story from over the weekend where Oklahoma State standout. Um, his last name is Chikara, I would uh, assume is how you pronounce it. He's turning pro, but he's doing so by joining the Live Golf Tour. And this reminds me 
uh, of the concern in college sports when, like, the G League started to accept kids out of high school for their Ignite team or when more guys started to go overseas for that one year instead of going to a college, right? Because for the Live Golf Tour to take guys already on the tour, that's one thing. But if you're going to steal the top up-and-coming talent as well, that's another thing as well. Because for the PGA Tour, not only are you losing some talent, but now you'll be losing some of the guys that could replace said talent that's already leaving the tour. And this is the number two amateur in the world. And uh, Kyle Porter, who covers golf for CBS, said this feels like a much bigger deal than losing Brandon Grace or Kevin Na, right? Some of the other guys who are just kind of middle of the road. This guy's the number two amateur in the, in the world coming out of college, ready to go pro. He chose to live golf tour instead of the PGA Tour. And so instead of getting that next group of guys that you can develop for, to be the next round of stars, right? Some of those guys may go to the Live Golf Tour. That could hurt the PGA Tour. But it does remind me of our concerns when we were talking college basketball and saying, uh-oh, this isn't good for college basketball. Guys can now go pro to the G League or, you know, if you're one of the ball kids, you go over and play wherever they were playing in. You go over to Turkey, any other country. You go to Europe, you play in these countries for a year and then go to the NBA. And it wasn't that long ago that we had a real concern, like, what does this mean for college basketball? All these guys are just going to choose to go pro and make money in college basketball. And even though it wasn't the NCAA's decision, it was forced onto them, I think name, image, and likeness has really helped out in that area, where now guys can just go play college basketball and make money, even if it's for just a one year. And also, you have guys that stick around in college basketball. We saw this with the draft last week. Some players that maybe typically would try to, to hope and get drafted just to start getting paid, and most of them would not. Well, now they can hang around in college basketball because, well, they're getting paid there anyways. And they can be patient when they jump to the NBA draft. So the answer in all this, like the answer to most of these things when it comes to this situation in golf, probably money. Right? And right now, Live Golf Tour is offering more money. But there's a great concern in college sports that, you know, the G League and these international leagues would be the death of college basketball. They're not going to get any of the talented guys out of high school. They're all just going to go pro. And, and some are. We had two guys drafted in the NBA draft last um, last week out of that G League. But we also had, you know, four guys from Duke in the first round and a couple of players from Kentucky and obviously um, uh, Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga and so on and so forth. But this is just another way in which uh, I see what's happening in the golf world, similar to what we've been dealing with in college sports in recent years. By the way, on the topic of Chet Holmgren, if you listen to the show, you know I'm not a big Chet guy. Two things came out over the weekend. One, they asked him, who's the best player in the league, and he said me in three months, which that's always a tough question. I don't like the answer, but in his defense, there's no good answer. You know, I grew up in the Northeast, and the New York media would have a field day with Eli Manning because they would ask him something similar. Like, Eli, do you think you're the best quarterback in the league? And he'd say, no. Right? Like, Tom Brady's probably best. And then they'd write in the paper, like, wow, Eli doesn't believe in himself. But then if his answer was, yeah, I do think I'm the best quarterback, then they'd write in the paper like, wow, Eli is so full of himself. He thinks he's the best quarterback in the league. There's no right answer to that question. So I'll let that one slide a little bit. But I, I don't know. I, I think a guy coming into the league should show a little more. You should be very confident. But to answer that question, maybe be a little humble as opposed to saying, hey, I'm the best player in the league already without playing a minute yet. But the other story, too, was that reportedly, I don't know if this came directly from Chet, from his camp, or from a source, he tanked the workout with the Orlando Magic because he did not want it to go number one. This is a red flag to me as well. If you really want to sit up there and say, hey, I'm already the best guy in the NBA, then you shouldn't be afraid to go anywhere. Is Oklahoma City really a better opportunity than Orlando? I mean, they're picking number th- they're the second worst team behind the Magic. They're picking number two behind Orlando. 
don't know if I like the right. I want the ultimate competitor. You think Michael Jordan? I know we always compare Jordan. That's become a cliche, comparing everything to Jordan. But like, you think Jordan would have tanked a workout? He doesn't care. I imagine even LeBron, same idea like Kobe. Like whatever, put me wherever. I just want to be in the league. I'll show you what I can do. I saw that story over the weekend. I thought ah, I don't really like that. And maybe I'm nitpicking, but I don't like the idea of a guy blowing a blowing off a workout because he doesn't want to be the number one pick. Why not? A lot of guys see that as an honor, being the number one pick. Right? And have that confidence that if you're going to sit up there and tell me you're the best player in the NBA already, all right, then why are you afraid to go to Orlando? Don't tank the workout. I don't like that idea. But we'll see how things play out over the next couple of years. Hey, when we come back, speaking of the NBA, the Hornets continue to embarrass themselves, and they did again over the weekend, and we'll get to that next. Some more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, the Charlotte Hornets continue to embarrass themselves. We'll get to that on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Hey, the 2022 Summer Golf Tour continues to uh, roll on this week. Has already sold out today from what I'm seeing here online. We only have a few weeks left, so if you missed out today, you still have a couple more opportunities. Stay tuned for next Monday, uh, which is uh, July 4th, right? Next Monday, so uh, make sure. You're up and ready, 8 a.m. next Monday to get your foursome for 98.9. Next week looks like it's the plantation course at Edisto. So be ready to go. Monday morning, 8 a.m., foursomes go on sale, charlestonsportsradio.com, as our summer golf tour continues. Hopefully you were one of the lucky ones to get a foursome this morning, but they sell out quick. So be ready to go at 8 a.m., get a foursome for 98.9. charlestonsportsradio.com is the place to be Monday, 8 a.m. next week as we uh, only have a few weeks left to go in our summer golf tour. Hey, speaking of charlestonsportsradio.com, while you're there, head over to our show page, and you can leave a comment for the show there. Bilkey asked, would Spencer Rattler be considered for player of the year if South Carolina were to win nine games? Also, what happened to Super Dave? Yeah, we haven't heard from Super Dave in a while. Hopefully everything's uh, okay with Super Dave. We have missed, especially as we get closer to uh, football season, we're going to need his predictions again, see what he thinks about his Gamecocks. In regards to Spencer Rattler, I mean, to be determined, it depends what he does and what the other quarterbacks do uh, in the conference. If South Carolina were to win nine games, that would be a pretty darn good year for them. Could that be good enough for second place in the East? But I imagine, right, could he be considered? That was the question. Could he be considered? Yeah, if he plays well enough and the Gamecocks have a good enough year, sure, he could be considered. But I think right now, as of right now, it's Bryce Young's uh, award to lose in the SEC. But I think that's what makes the SEC so interesting this year is the quarterback. The quarterback talent could be really good throughout that conference. And Spencer Rattler could be. And if you're a Gamecock fan, you better hope is you know he's one of those guys as well. But uh, could he be considered? Sure, if he plays well enough, and he's going to have to, in order for the Gamecocks to win nine games in this scenario, he could be considered. You look at all conference quarterbacks in the SEC, that's where South Carolina is really lagging. In fact, I don't think South Carolina's ever had one, right? Every other school has. Um, it's been a while for some of the schools, but uh, for South Carolina, they're looking for that top-end quarterback, and it could be 
Spencer Rattler. I know a lot of people were excited about some of the videos that came out over the weekend of him flinging it 50 yards, uh, I think, at North Greenville over the weekend. We'll circle back to college football coming up with the teams that are at a crossroads this year. But over the weekend, the Charlotte Hornets announced a, a reunion of sorts. You know, they were looking for a new coach after Kenny Atkinson turned them down, and so the Hornets went back to a, a familiar face and rehired St- Steve Clifford, the new boss, same as the old boss. He was the head coach and then was replaced by James Borrego, who's now being replaced by Steve Clifford. And I think this is a pretty lousy move by the Hornets. I think it's very uninspiring, especially after James Borrego still had guaranteed money. They just gave him an extension or more money not too long ago. They fire him, and this is the solution. Like, we're going to pay this guy to go away just so we can get Steve Clifford back. And Clifford, you know, wasn't great with Charlotte. They had uh, that one season they made it to the playoffs, made it to game seven of the playoffs, you know, uh, six years ago. Then he goes to Orlando and wasn't great there, got fired there, and now he's back in Charlotte. According to reports, Kenny Atkinson, he bailed on the Hornets because he did not like the idea of – lack of control he would have. Reports make it seem like he wouldn't do much when it came to running the team. That would be very much operated by the front office. And Kenny Atkinson didn't really like that idea. He wants a little more control. But according to reports, you know, when it comes to drafting the team or putting the team together, he wouldn't have a whole lot of say in the personnel. Even his coaching staff, a lot of that would come from the front office. And according to reports, right, that was the case. Kenny Atkinson didn't like that. He said, no, thanks. Now, Steve Clifford is a defensive coach. We know for the Hornets, their issue really has been defense. So maybe that will help. Also, according to reports, he has a really good relationship with Michael Jordan, and that's a big reason why they went with Jordan, or they went with Steve Clifford. I thought it would be D'Antoni, maybe even Terry Stotts. I don't know how interested they even were in those guys this past week. And instead, when Atkinson turned him down, they called up their old friend uh, Steve Clifford to bring him back. I think it's pretty lame. I also think it's a lot like, you may remember the movie The Benchwarmers, which is like an underrated baseball movie, although it's more of a comedy than some sort of sports film. But uh, I believe it was Nick Schwartzen's character, like, was afraid of the sun, and so he would live in, uh, in like, the closet of, uh, of uh, his brother's house or whatever. They were living together. But I was thinking about him because throughout the movie, like, he will slowly make his way out towards the sun. And, like, he'd go out with a blanket wrapped around him, or he'd step out of the closet and then see the sun and run back in. Like, slowly was making his way out of that closet into the sun and into uh, more of a danger zone, trying to conquer his fears slowly. Or I was also thinking of, like, We're the Millers, another movie, you know, with Jennifer Aniston that came out in the last 10 years. And uh, when they're camping and, you know, the wife is talking about, like, swinging, and then by touching Jennifer Aniston's chest, that was enough for her. And she's like, okay, I'm good. Right, Like slowly just dipping your toes in the water. She didn't want to fully commit to uh, swinging that night with the other couple. That was enough for her. Just simply uh, grabbing Jennifer Aniston by the chest was like, all right, I'm good with this. I can go to bed now. Similar with the Hornets where they tried to get Kenny Atkinson. He turned them down. They said, all right, like, well, let's just go back to Steve Clifford. We gave it a try. We tried to hire somebody else. But she really didn't give it much of a try. He gave it one try. Kenny Atkinson turned it down. He's all right, well, guess we have no other option. We got to go back to Steve Clifford, who we had just four years ago and fired at the time, and now we got to bring him back to be the head coach. I think it's a pretty lame attempt.
just like uh, the actress in We're the Millers with Jennifer Aniston or Nick Swartzen trying to conquer his fear of the, the sun and the bench warmers. A pretty lame attempt. You got to dive in. All right, go, go out. Be a little bold. Go get somebody else instead of just bringing back Steve Clifford. Whenever teams do this, it doesn't work out. It's my uh, pet cemetery theory that I bring up all the time. Your pet passes away. You think you want your pet back. You would love to have your pet back, but sometimes things don't go so well when you try to duplicate it a second time. And Stephen King did a book and a movie on it, Pet Cemetery. The animals came back, but now right, they're, they're evil. You don't want your pet dog back anymore. Now he's torturing you. Pet Cemetery. Same idea with the coaches. You think just by simply bringing back Mac Brown, oh, we're going to relive the glory days of UNC football from 20 years ago. It's not really the case. How often do you try that in your life? You had such a great night. Maybe it was like a date with your spouse or significant other. And so like for an anniversary, you want to duplicate your first date or something. It was so perfect that first night. You do it again. And even if everything goes perfectly, it's like, yeah, it's just not the same. There's something about it uh, just being natural and going through it for the first time that whenever you try to duplicate anything, they try to make a sequel. The sequel is just like the first movie. And you know, yeah, this is kind of lame. We didn't really need the sequel. It never works out when you try to duplicate. I should say it rarely works out when you try to duplicate something from before, when you try to copy it exactly. And they're like, wow, that was really fun. We should do that exactly the same way next time. It becomes more like a job instead of just going with the flow. Wait a, wait a minute. We didn't do it this way last time. We got to do it this way. I mean, it's, just, it's not as fun. You try to duplicate a date night or a fun time with your buddies or whatever. You try to make a movie again. It's not the same. And there's plenty of examples of coaches. I always say in sports, uh, uh, it's kind of like what Brooks Kepka was trying to say but it didn't really apply at the time. We're talking about live golf. And Kepka said, like, you ever try to drive through the rear view mirror? Good luck. Right? I think that was Brooks Kepka who said that. you got to be looking uh, forward. And it's similar in the sense of running a team. Like, you can't live in the rear view mirror. Looking back and saying, like, we need a coach. Well, Steve Clifford was our coach four years ago. Let's just go get him. you got to keep looking, continue to look forward. The Raiders tried to bring back Art Shell. That was a disaster. The Raiders then tried to bring back John Gruden. Ended up being a bit of a disaster. Tony La Russa right now for the White Sox. How's that going? A bit of a disaster. Cito Gaston was another one in baseball. The Blue Jays brought him back. Didn't work out the second time. Mac Brown right now for UNC. Not really working out the second time. In fact, he may even be, if we're being realistic, he probably should be on the hot seat this year. Randy Etzel for my UConn Huskies. What a disaster and an embarrassment that was in the second go-round. Mike Brown for the Cleveland Cavaliers brought him back. Didn't work out. And locally, the Panthers tried this very thing with uh, Marty Herney, their GM, right? who was the GM before and then after Dave Gettleman. They needed a new GM. They got rid of Gettleman. It's like, all right, let's go back to Herney. And it uh, wasn't all that great the second time either. Similar, I imagine, it'll be similar to Steve Clifford. Things weren't that great the first time. You think it's going to be better the second time? I imagine it won't be. And it's kind of a sign to the fans, like, ah, we really don't care. Because that's not how you... All right, Michael uh, Jordan uh, hiring him just because he's been the coach previously and have a good relationship? Like, that's, that's a lazy hiring move. That doesn't send a good message to the fan base. And I imagine it's not going to work out this time just like it didn't the first. I went back and looked. 11 times a coach has been rehired by the same team in the NBA. Only one of them actually won a championship in the second go-round, and that was Lenny Wilkins, who did it way back in 1979 with Seattle. When Seattle brought him back, uh, six years later, and in his second year with the then Supersonics, they won the finals in 79. So Lenny Wilkins is the one example of rehiring a coach, and it paid off. One out of 11 that even made it to a championship.
Lenny Wilkins was the only. Of the 11 coaches that teams have tried this with before, uh, six of the 11 ever even made the playoffs in their second stint, so about half. Only three of the 11 even won a playoff series in the second stint, less than 30%. So history, right? based off of history, that's kind of what you're looking at with Steve Clifford. That when teams have rehired a coach for a second time, they make the playoffs less than 30% of the time. That's what you have to look forward to. Not great. And I don't think it's going to work out with Steve Clifford and Charlotte. And if I was a Hornets fan, I'd be pretty ticked off. This is the best he could do for us? I don't know if Steve Clifford was a great hire the first time. Then you fired him. James Borrego's the coach. At least he got you to play in around the last two years. You fire him just to go back to Steve Clifford. I think it's weak. I think it's a, another example in the long line of decisions made by Jordan and that front office there in Charlotte that you kind of scratch your head. Like, what are we doing here? And that's that's weak. UNC, same idea. UNC had a terrible year. They thought, all right, well, we need a coach. Well, Mac Brown was pretty good when he was here last time, so let's just try to run it back. Never works out quite as good the second time. You, you can't live in the rearview mirror. You got to keep having, you know, looking forward, have the foresight, see what's coming down the road. Don't go back to six-year-old Steve Clifford, who you already tried just four years ago and it didn't work out. I doubt it'll be any better this time. We'll get to Trent's takes when we come back. It's more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to do your sleepwalk dance anymore. I just want to see some palm trees. I would try to shake away this disease. We could live beside the ocean. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. And don't forget, we got a Red Cross blood drive coming up Wednesday at Cruise Subaru from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. this Wednesday, June 29th at Cruise Subaru. All donors will receive a $35 gift card for service, parts, and accessories at Cruise Subaru. Visit redcrossblood.org and use the sponsor code CRUISE. And make your appointment today. I think walk-ins are welcome as well, but they always prefer appointments. Coming up this Wednesday, two days from now, 11 a.m., 4 p.m., Cruise Subaru in North Charleston. Red Cross Blood Drive. Give blood, help somebody out, and uh, get a nice $35 gift card in the process as well. We do it around this time each and every day. We find out what's on the mind of the producer. It's time for Trent's Takes. What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer? Draft Luke Morrow. That's right. It's time for Trent's Takes. The radio cowboy will be coming, and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, before we get into some other uh, sporting topics, I do have a business proposition for anybody out there, potentially any uh, golf course developers that are listening. I will say, now, I've heard this idea thrown out there before, and it's kind of been made with a a thing like Topgolf, where you can go, you can have drinks, it's late at night, you can go hit the ball and everything but i think there needs to be a 12 hole par 3 golf course that is specifically made for night golf so as soon as the sun starts setting around 6 30 or 7 o'clock that's when tee times open up or obviously you can schedule it you go from 7 till about 2 in the morning you play 12 holes it's all about drinks and food and the music things of that nature you play 12 holes par 3 
You're not driving around the cart too much. I think this is an absolute winner. You put some lights out there. You make the uh, you make the balls you know glow in the dark, if you will. I think it'd all be it'd be a good thing. I used to do it. I had a little uh, glow up you know ball, and I used to live on a golf course, so I'd go out there at night. Always the best time at night playing some golfing. You can't really see too much. It's fun. So if anybody wants to, you know, hit us up about this, 843-721-9500, and we'll try to get it going. But I, I love Top Golf. don't get me wrong, but I think if we had something like a 12-hole par 3 at night, it would make golf a lot more enjoyable, and that could grow the game in and of itself, you know? I am intrigued. Yeah? I would be more likely to go out at that golf course than a standard golf course. Boom. I once got in trouble for being on a golf course at night when I wasn't supposed to, but that's a <laughs> different story for another day. Um, I remember growing up, not to shift gears, it's it's in relation, but play, we always used to love playing basketball. My father rigged lights in the front yard so we could play hoops, yeah. and then the neighbors started to complain that the lights were shining <laughs> into their house at like midnight. We were out there and the sound of the dribble. My brothers and I just loved playing pickup back in the day. But yeah, absolutely, for golf. Especially in an area like this, it's too hot. You, you don't want to go right. golfing during the day. You got to wait till the sun goes down to be able to go at night. I yeah. like it. No, I see, Luke. That's what I'm saying. Now, I heard a couple people talking about it over the weekend, and I said, you know what? I, I, let me mock that up a little bit. So I thought about it. Couldn't be a full 18 hole, you know, par fives, things of that nature. That wouldn't work. But if you're out there with your buddies, two and a half, three hours playing a nice little 12 hole golf course. I think it would be an absolute winner, Luke. That's why I want to do it. So, yeah, again, if anybody's out there, you can email me, call me. We can try to get it up. And I just need royalties. I just need some resids on the back end and to play out there whenever I want. That's all I ask. I am your first investor. I got a fresh $1 bill in my pocket. We're off and rolling. You always start somewhere, Luke. That's you always right. start somewhere. You know, I mean, how was Apple created? Boom, in a garage. Thank yeah, you very much. That's right. We're just airing it out on radio. Now, mm -hmm. some sporting topics I like to bring up. I actually wrote this down as soon as I saw it happening. Baseball fights are absolutely hilarious. They're one of my favorite things in the world. It's kind of like an NBA fight. There's no real fighting going on now uh, between the Mariners and the uh, Angels, I believe, right on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Benches cleared, things of that nature. It's not like a hockey fight or even an NFL fight because the NFL guys actually start throwing hands. I will say a couple Seattle Mariners and Angels, you know, were throwing fisticuffs. Mm -hmm. Wasn't great, but I always think they're absolutely hilarious because it's just a lot of standing in between each other. Like, no, you back up, you back up, things of this nature. The stars never get involved. It's usually the guys just running off the bench i also love the bullpen when the bullpen you know two yep. minutes after the fight is you know continued they're running in acting like they're about to do something what are we doing here it's all for show but i what i it made me think of a question in the nfl because there's a lot of you know there's a lot of dudes i would not throw majority of people in the nfl i would never throw fisticuffs with i'm not a fighter whatsoever but i thought of who would be the two guys in the nfl either past or present that you would want to see go at it I, I found two names that i thought would be pretty interesting Arguably the baddest dude in the NFL during his tenure, Adam Pacman Jones. I would like to see him fight Jalen Ramsey. I think Jalen huh. Ramsey's got some pretty, you know, quick hands. In the NBA, Luke, I would like to see Jimmy Butler and Russell Westbrook go at it. Ooh, I think those guys have, you know, some crazy hands. But if there's any two players out there, NBA or NFL, who would you pick? I would go bigger for the NBA. Okay. I want, like, Dwight Howard against Giannis. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. All right, like, some, there's two <laughs> mammoths just go wailing on each other. Football, I was thinking older, old school. I would go, like, Lawrence Taylor. Oh, jeez. And then, I don't know. I don't know who he, he'd go up against. I like your idea. I remember when um, Cortland Finnegan used to be a real pest as a, as a defensive back yes. in the NFL. 
and he ripped off like Andre Johnson's yeah. uh, jewelry, right? And then yeah. they ripped off the helmet. They were going at it on the field. That was pretty good. About a decade ago, about eight years ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good question. I would say Lawrence Taylor. Then I have to come up with somebody else. I don't know who would match up with him. Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor and uh, Dick Butkus. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Imagine like if you took a guy from the uh, past, Lawrence Taylor versus like Miles Garrett. Oh, and, and that's put, a good one. Yeah. If I'm thinking, if I'm thinking D line here right now, even though they're on the same team as of right now, Jadavion Clowney Ooh. and Miles Garrett would be yeah. two six foot six, two hundred sixty pound guys. Miles Garrett's got the beef though, so I think he would take it. But I would I would pay to see Pac-Man Jones, and I believe he did like a semi pro fight, absolutely demolish the guy he was fighting. I would see him fight anybody in the world. Yeah, it's like celebrity box here's your next uh, idea. <laughs> there we it's go. Like celebrity boxing. In the off season, let's get a couple of these football guys in the ring. Yeah. Throw them some uh, big time cash and let's see what happens. Tough look for Frank Gore. He's he's had two professional fights yeah. now, got knocked out the Ugh. first time, but the second time I mean if, if I was to think of it, Pac Man Jones and Frank Gore would probably be a great fight. I feel like Frank Gore would overpower him, but Frank Gore actually knocked the guy out first round, second fight. He's kind of coming into his own as a fighter right now, so it's going to be interesting to see what he does. But baseball fights never, uh, they just amuse me. I love them. Yeah, baseball is like the classic uh, fake hard guy where <laughs> right away they're saying, right, like, hold me back, hold me back. Right? They don't actually want to get to each other. And like yeah. you said, the bullpens are always great. By the time they get there, we're already like an inning into the next <laughs> inning. It's like, thanks for arriving finally. This one was, as you said, it was pretty good. It was yeah. one of the better ones we've had in a while. There were actually some some fists being thrown, guys getting kicked out. We'll circle back to that coming up because there's a great story about a pizza delivery with that <laughs> brawl that we have to get to uh, coming up a little bit later on. Yeah, it's like an NBA fight, though. You know, there's a lot of pushing and shoving, not a lot going on. Speaking of baseball, first of all, shout out to my one-year alma mater, the Ole Miss Rebels, finally getting a national championship in a sport. We haven't had that in quite some time, and to do it, in Omaha, I was getting a couple videos from my buddies back in Oxford. The square was absolutely insane, and it'll probably be insane up until Wednesday when they have the parade. Also, the Giants uh, only won one out of three against the Cincinnati Reds. Ugh. Lost on Sunday, 10-3. to Luke, I have a big problem, big problem with our pitching staff. And I've said that last week, obviously, continue to say it. These guys give up too many runs. I don't know what we're doing. Luckily, the only thing I can look forward to right now with San Francisco Giants is that the All-Star break's coming up. Everybody refresh, get ready to go. Maybe we trade away a couple of these pitchers that are really, you know, grinding my gears and bring in some new young talent. But right now, the Giants, I'm not not too high on them right now, Luke, unfortunately. Yeah, that's tough. That's a get-right series with Cincinnati at home. Yeah. And uh, they can't get it done. And the Reds, their offense hasn't been great. And then they went off for 10 runs yesterday. So, not great. Let's see. The Giants now have the Tigers. That's another quote-unquote get-right series at home. So, yeah. And then even the White Sox after that. Then the Diamondbacks. So they play some pretty bad teams here. We'll see if the Giants can get going before the All-Star break. Yeah, they better, Luke, or else my fandom might uh, turn pretty quick. Might jump on the (laughs) Evil Empire. I mean, I I might jump around here and there. But the Giants are my team here to stay, Luke. I know we didn't address it, obviously, because we don't want to be one of those sports shows that this is all they talk about. But Kyrie Irving. Apparently, he wants out. Apparently, the place to go from Woj as of 25 minutes ago would be the Los Angeles Lakers. However, the Brooklyn Nets do not have a trade package that the Lakers could give them that they would accept. So that's going to be interesting there. But I will point out, if Kyrie leaves, Kevin Durant's gone. Sorry about it, Brooklyn. There's no way that he stays. And Damian Lillard, who didn't play basketball last year because of injuries, who was one of the best shooters in the NBA, one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA, 
posted an Instagram photo, an edited photo of Kevin Durant in a Portland Trailblazers uniform next to him. A bunch of the guys on the Trailblazers, you know, commented on the posts and everything. Think about this, Luke Mar. Do you believe that if Kevin Durant was to join Damian Lillard in Portland, they could give the Golden State Warriors a run for their money? And I'll also ask this because Draymond Green went on his podcast and said if Kyrie Irving joins the Lakers, they still won't be the Golden State Warriors. And I do agree with that. I really do. As of right now, I don't think the chemistry can, you know, come quick enough that you're not going to beat a team like the Warriors. But if Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard team up, potentially get another piece, I wish they would have kept CJ McCollum. If that three would be absolutely crazy. But do you think the Trailblazers could have a chance with the Golden State Warriors? Personally, I don't think so, but it does intrigue me. I would give them a chance. I would think they would, I mean, they would have two of the best, <laughs> two of the three best players in the series, right, right? If they ever played the Warriors. I do agree with Kyrie and the Lakers. That seems like a powder keg just uh, ready yeah. to explode. Durant and Lillard would be interesting. Um, that would be a, a fun combination. But I'll tell you what, the Blazers just drafted uh, that Shaden Sharp mm-hmm. uh, out of uh, Kentucky, who's a huge question mark. He's supposed to be really good. We just haven't seen him for a year. And so I guess with or without Durant, I mean, he could develop, maybe not yet, but maybe in a couple of years, the next couple of years, uh, he could develop into be to becoming a real star there in Portland. Yeah. And I thought maybe Sharp would be the next guy, that you move on from Lillard and try to build around Sharp. But now if you bring in Durant, you know, that changes the, that whole logic. So we'll see what happens here. Um, I'm not against the Kyrie Irving story, but I did see I tuned in this morning to Get Up, which oh. is the only show I watch in the morning yeah. as I get myself ready to go. And they opened the show talking about Kyrie, and then they were talking about Gronk's retirement. And I thought, wait a minute, is this like a rerun? <laughs> we had the same show last week everyone was talking about. This is old news. What are we doing here? Well, they got the C-list cast that they had this morning. <laughs> I, I mean, you got you to gotta recycle the old stories. What are we doing? I, I mean, I turned into, tuned into first take this morning. I said, yeah. I don't recognize any of these people, so oh, yeah. I'm, I'm cutting it off. Like, that's what happens in the summer. I'm going to be taking some time off here shortly. Yeah. That's what happens in this industry in the summer. People take time off. Uh, Francesa, the, 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 uh, one of the goats, used to always take time off uh, all summer long. So, it's, yeah, it's, uh, this is considered a down year for sports. So, I guess that's, that's the case. Yeah, with Kyrie, though, you know, only four teams right now, If the, if you, unless you get help from the Nets, only four teams can actually afford Kyrie, and uh, there are four teams that were just picking, like, in the top ten. So how do you think this thing plays out? Where do you think Kyrie is at the start of next NBA season? Well, once again, I mean, if he came to the Miami Heat, I'll turn into the biggest Kyrie Irving fan there is. We don't need you, pal, up until we just need you for the playoffs. You can take our, as many mental health days as you want in Miami. The beach is very, very nice for that. Get out of, you know, cold Brooklyn. What are you doing? <laughs> the city. I mean, that just smogs your brain. But, uh, you know, Luke, I do think – if it doesn't work out with the Nets, it's got to be the Lakers. Uh, I think that's the only landing spot that makes sense for him right now. I don't see him going to the Heat, unfortunately. If Kevin Durant wants to come down there, that'd be a great option as well. But I don't think the Nets would trade with the Heat, especially for their two marquee players. So I would say the Lakers. I, I also saw that the Mavericks are kind of you know uh, mm. in contention for Kyrie Irving. Wouldn't mind that. I think him and Luka could be an interesting one-two punch. It would be interesting. But the Lakers, I think I would say right now, are the team where he's bound to go to the Lakers. Yeah, probably. I mean, what a disaster. Brooklyn, the two times Brooklyn has tried to go all in. They did that silly trade for Garnett and Pierce, (laughs) and those guys were already over the hill, and that never worked out. It was a waste of time. And then now you get Kyrie and Durant, and here we are after a couple of disappointing seasons, and potentially they may both leave this summer, and if they do, Brooklyn is going to be – in big trouble because they got nothing. Got Ben Simmons, baby. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I saw a funny video about uh, 
uh, Ben Simmons, you know, try, leaving Philadelphia thinking he was going somewhere else and it ends up becoming the same situation he just left because, yeah, he's going to be the only guy there. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens with Brooklyn. I like to think both guys stay. I think the Nets still have leverage. I think Kyrie's kind of bluffing and yeah. trying to play hardball here. So I'd like to think both guys stay, but we know players run the league in the NBA. So I hope they stay. I like to have Brooklyn be a big part of the NBA. I agree. Especially if the Knicks aren't holding up their end of the bargain for New York City. You know, have somebody in that city be relevant. And I do like the idea of Kyrie and Durant playing together. But I mean, it's... If if they were on the court for you know more than what fifty three games in the last yeah, three years right. together, it would we it would, we'd be talking about the one of the best one two punches we've ever seen in the NBA. I mean, as far as the talent goes, Luke, those two guys are at the at the top of their game. I mean, Kevin Durant's one of the most talented scorers. Uh, you know, Kyrie Irving put that him in that category. Also, finishing the basketball, Kyrie Irving's amazing at, and his handles are incredible. So. The talent is all there, and you have Ben Simmons who you know can set a couple screens for you and get a couple blocks. So there you go. Yeah, if he's even out on the floor, <laughs> uh, the the Nets are in an interesting spot right now. On the text line, somebody asked Lawrence Taylor on cocaine or off cocaine. That's a determining factor for me. Well, for the sake of the exercise, I think he'd have to be whatever you know, whatever gets him juiced up for the big fight. Yeah, get tuned up, my friend. We want to see it. Yeah, give me LT uh, on the drugs against Dick Buckus. I don't know somebody else. It'd be fascinating to see. We'll wrap up hour two next. Who's a college quarterback making more money than a lot of NFL quarterbacks? We'll get to that. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Hey, did you see this story about uh, this quarterback going to Miami? Jaden Rashada, I assume is how you pronounce it. Uh, multiple sources told on three sports that he agreed to an NIL deal with Miami and their mega booster, John Ruiz, for $9.5 million. Now, the same source said that he turned down an offer from Florida's collective for $11 million. And both offers blow out of the water the uh, brokered $8 million deal for five-star recruit that uh, Tennessee got. So we got a quarterback at Tennessee getting 8 mil. We had this quarterback offered 11 mil. He chooses Miami for 9.5. And And Warren Sharp put out this list, which is pretty good to look at. But NFL quarterbacks making less than this guy heading to Miami. Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Zach Wilson, Tua, Justin Herbert, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones all have average salaries below $9.5 million. And this guy's going to Miami for 9 and a half. Look, I don't know if Miami's going to work out on the field, but it's why I've been hyping them up this offseason because with Mario Cristobal, he's going to get players in there. The guy could recruit at Oregon. He's going to do better at Miami, especially now with name, image, likeness. He's going to bring a lot of talent to Miami. Is it going to lead to ACC titles? I don't know. I think Cristobal still leaves a little to be desired on Saturdays. But the dude's going to haul in a lot of talent to Miami, and they're going to be interesting to watch here for the next few years. Hour 3 coming up next. It's the Morning Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
WTMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, which teams in college football are at a crossroads this year? Plus, the latest with Deshaun Watson ahead of his hearing tomorrow at the NFL. The SEC continues to dominate. And also, an interesting pizza delivery. We'll get to that coming up on the Morrow Midday Show. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch you on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. And the podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page and find the show podcasted there. While there, you can also leave a comment for the show, charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page. You can always get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. Text the show, 843-608-1734, or give us a call, 843-721-9500. Join the conversation on the phones. Last hour, we were talking about if we could pair a couple of athletes together in a fight. On the text line, somebody said Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher. (laughs) That'd be good. I did think of Ray Lewis. I didn't say it, but that was a thought. Urlacher? Seems like he'd be solid. Although I tell you what, I don't know. Erlacher nowadays, like he got the hair, the hair plugs. Uh, he, he in his retirement, he looks like he's living more of a. I don't know what the term is. Yeah, he's not as intimidating though now. No, Ray Lewis looks like he could probably still strap it up and go yeah. play for the Ravens. Yeah, absolutely. Erlacher, yeah, Erlacher in his prime. Okay, sure. Erlacher today, eh, not so much. Ed Reed versus somebody that might be that might be a good one. That'd be good. So just take the whole old Miami team and, and yeah. throw them out there together. See what happens. That's true. Yeah, I was going to say, Ray Lewis, uh, take two Ravens. Ray Lewis and um, uh, uh, now I just drew a blank on his name. The other line. Uh, Terrell Suggs. Oh, jeez. Ray Sizzle. Lewis and Terrell Suggs, yeah. Oof. Although I, that may be too on the nose because both of them have something uh, in their own personal lives that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that weren't great. More so, especially Terrell Ray Lewis, uh, the details are a little more sketchy. Terrell Suggs was uh, – Pretty horrendous. Anyways, uh, I used to love Celebrity Deathmatch, so you know something. Bring back that show and let's uh, let's put these fights together and figure out what would happen. We'll get to Ole Miss and their national championship coming up in a few moments. Circle back to that because the SEC continues to dominate. But while we're talking about baseball, last hour during Trent's takes, we referenced that brawl yesterday between the Mariners and the Angels. And as far as baseball fights go, it, it was pretty good. I, I liked it. Usually it's very disappointing. I also love that one of the videos that came out was Noah Syndergaard fixing his hair during the fight. Classic Noah Syndergaard. Uh, seems to be more concerned with, uh, with how he looks than the actual performance on the field. Goes out there and works out with the shirt off. Like, come on. What are we doing here? Calls himself Thor. Anyways, I digress. Um, but it was a pretty good fight. 
So then I saw this on Twitter afterwards. The Mariners fans are really happy. The Mariners fans do not like the Angels very much. And I guess, you know, I watched a lot of baseball this weekend. I don't know if anybody was paying attention or realized, but as I said going in, I thought there were some good series this weekend. I thought there was some good baseball. The Braves-Dodgers was a lot of fun. I know the Dodgers took two out of three, but they were good games and good crowds. It felt like playoff baseball. Watched a lot of the Yankees-Astros. It's unbelievable the Yankees even won two of those games. Dusty Baker, I've always thought, is a pretty overrated manager. And both times you had a base open with Aaron Judge at the plate, uh, who's going to set records this year, and you pitched to him. I don't know why, and he delivered a walk-off both yesterday and Thursday, especially yesterday after they were getting no hit. Uh, I will circle back to that game in just a moment, or even from Saturday's game. But Yankees-Astros, a lot of fun. Sounded like playoff baseball. Packed crowds in the Bronx. They were going uh, crazy. It was a lot of fun. I did not watch, however, a lot of Angels-Mariners this weekend, but I guess there was, you know, typically is the case, there was some bad blood leading up to it. Guys were hit over the weekend, getting hit with pitches. Winker got hit on Sunday. He was the latest one. And, uh, you know, it, it led to this brawl. So Mariners fans were happy to see Winker and the Mariners start something, try to get back at those pesky Angels. So this Mariners fan on Twitter, her name is Sophie. And she posted a screenshot and said, I just ordered a pizza for Jesse Winker from Mountain Mike's Pizza in Anaheim. You deserve it, big guy. And she uh, tweeted it at the Mariners. And she has the screenshot. And in the screenshot, the address is the stadium. And the details say, this is for the Visitor's Clubhouse pizzas for Jesse Winker. Now, if you get this delivery as a driver, you probably have no idea like what this even means. Obviously, if you're a baseball fan, you may understand. But a lot of people see that. And like They don't really understand. They're going to a Major League Baseball stadium. They have to try to get this pizza in the visitor's locker room for Jesse Winker, who, of course, got thrown out of the game. So he's hanging out in the locker room until the end of the game, and the Mariners uh, will then leave town. She then updated. It was a whole Twitter thread, and she was updating it. And a few minutes later, she tweeted that uh, the Dasher, this was through DoorDash, that the, the Dasher is on the way. She then got a text from the driver who said, I am your DoorDash driver. I am on your way. She followed up and said, when you get to the stadium, please take the pizza to any gate and tell them it's for the visitor's clubhouse. The pizza is for Jesse Winker. Again, like, you know, I worked at baseball stadiums. For, for, for t- if somebody showed up at the gate and said, like, this pizza is for Jesse, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Get out of here. And the driver said, oh, okay, Sophie, sure, I will let them know. Like, it's so simple. Hey, by the way, this is for Jesse Winker. Can uh, you go bring this into the visitor's clubhouse? Right, they got tight security. Another update about him getting closer. Another update of him arriving at the stadium. She's live-tweeting the whole event, wondering if it's actually going to pan out, if the pizza will actually end up with Jesse Winker. Uh, another um, update that he's at gate six of the stadium. And then she got confirmation that it was delivered. He texted her and said, Your pizza is delivered. I'm sorry for the delay. It's actually very busy and hard to find parking here. Yeah, it's a Major League Baseball stadium. She responded and uh, said, you are amazing. Do you have Venmo or Cash App? There are a lot of people waiting to tip you. Anyways, the story goes on that um, Jesse Winker reached out to this woman, said, I got the pizza. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot. Sophie, the Mariners fan, responded and said, thank you for being awesome. There's a ton of people on Twitter who love you right now, all for starting this, uh, this brawl. Then she got the phone number of the delivery driver as well. And I'm sorry, I'm probably going to butcher his name. But just going off of how it uh, looks, I would say Simranjit is the driver. It checks out. checks out. That's yeah. my best guess. Anyway, she got his number. She was texting with him. 
They had a 12-minute conversation. His wife started like a Twitter account yesterday just to respond to everybody online who appreciated this guy. All these Mariners fans were donating to uh, like a GoFundMe or Venmoing them money and everything for this. And then uh, C. Trent Rosencrantz, who covers, um, he used to cover the Reds, but Jesse Winker came from the Reds. He said, I, I have confirmed that not only did Jesse Winker get the pizza, he also said it was really good. <laughs> so that's a nice little story to come out of all this. Yeah. And I'm surprised. When I first, when I saw her first tweet, I, saw, I thought, this is ridiculous. What is this person doing? <laughs> and putting it on Twitter. Like, why are you... Try to send a pizza to Jesse Winker in the Visitor's Clubhouse. The Dasher would have probably just ate it. I, yeah, I mean, right. no, more normally, knowing some of the Dashers out there. They do say, uh, I forget what it was, like 35% of drivers do eat some of your food. <laughs> I think it's even higher. But I remember we talked about that study on the show years ago when I, when I first came across that. I've had a couple of missing mozzarella sticks yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah. I saw a bite in one of my pizza slices. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm shocked the pizza actually got to Jesse Winker in this case. Now, if a pizza shows up for you, put yourself in this situation. You're hanging out in the clubhouse. Mm. You're on the road. You just got kicked out for starting a fight for going after the Angels. Right. Now, suddenly, there's a knock on the clubhouse door. They say, hey, somebody brought you this pizza. You're on the road. It's not Seattle. You're not in your, you know, the, the comfy uh, confines of your home stadium. You just started a fight on the road. Are you skeptical of this pizza that shows up for you delivered to the visitors' clubhouse? One thousand percent. I mean, first of all, I'd like the security team to take a uh, you know look at themselves to just let a pizza come through <laughs> without you know maybe checking it, making sure there wasn't any you know suspicious activity going on with this pizza. I think that addressed that first. And no, I, I probably wouldn't have touched the pizza unless like she did a good job by like live tweeting it, tagging the Mariners and everything. So I'm sure the social media manager came over and said, That's Hey, true. you know, this is going on right now. Somebody's trying to bring you a pizza, but no, I'd be very, I'd be very skeptical. It's like, you know, Jordan, what, what happened to the pizza with him? That made him sick. You right. know, a couple nights before the, uh, before the game. That's true. Yeah. He was on the road and yeah, you got to watch out for those people in Utah trying to poison Michael Jordan. So they say, uh, that's yeah, why he right. was sick. Yeah. Right. Had nothing to do with all the booze and staying up all night, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Even if I know the story and I know it's from her, I mean, I guess if I know it's from her, that's just weird. I don't. The whole idea of accepting food from you just don't know where it's been. I don't know. I know it's a pizza that's being delivered. If I'm Jesse Winker and a pizza shows up to the to the clubhouse, I don't know if I'm digging in. No, unless the skeptical. team told you like, hey, this is happening. It's a Mariners fan yeah. sending it over. That'd be the only thing. Yeah. So she says it's all a ploy <laughs> just to get back at Jesse Winker. It's a fake Twitter account. That's right. But it all all's well that ends well. So he gets a pizza out of it. The Mariner fan gets her pizza delivered, and the delivery driver for doing the job, he uh, got all sorts of money out of it. Uh, Mariner fan sending him uh, you know extra tips for doing the job. So that's pretty good. You're driving around, you're door dashing. Little do you know, you're about to deliver a pizza to the stadium and uh, make a good bit of money off of it. I wonder what he thought. I don't know if he. I don't think he seemed based off of the messages. I don't think he seemed familiar with exactly what he was like getting himself into. I wonder what he thought when he showed up to the stadium. A lot of times, I think delivery people will be put out when they show up, and it's like gate six. Where do you got to go? People. I'm sure the security's giving them a hard time at the stadium. You're just trying to deliver the pizza, do your job, and get out of there to the next delivery. But it, it, it worked out every, for everybody involved. It's a happy ending to uh, a funny story out of yesterday's brawl. Hey, um, also from the from the weekend. As I mentioned earlier, that Yankees-Astros series, I had a friend who was at the game on Saturday, Yankees-Astros. The mm-hmm. Yankees got no hit by the Astros. And I had a buddy who's a Yankees fan who was at the game. It's historic. It's iconic. First time the Yankees were no hit in 20 years. 
very infrequently do you see. I've been to a lot of games. I've, I don't think I've ever come close to seeing a no-hitter as a fan. If you were, now you're a Giants fan, so let's say you're at a Giants game. Ooh. Because you're such a big Giants fan now. My home stadium, yeah. That's right. If the Giants are getting no hit and you're there in person, do you root for the history or do you root for your team? I think it's blasphemy if you root for the history. Oh. I, I really do. I, I, I'm not a fan of, you know, oh, I want to see this happen. I want to see the perfect game happen. No, your team's losing, all right? Your team doesn't have a hit. How about cheer for, you know, your team to maybe make a run? No, I, I don't like that. Let's cheer for the history. Yeah, screw that. What are we doing? <laughs> okay, what about, in this case, it was the Yankees. You know, they're on pace to have a record season. Sure. They're in first place. We're having a great year. Losing this one game in June is not going to keep them from winning the World Series. Can you, during a historic season, be willing to sacrifice one game over the course of a great year for history? No, Luke, because I know the regular season is long in the MLB. Some say too long. I am mm -hmm. on that uh, path as well. But, no, every win matters. Every win matters. I wouldn't cheer for another team that is beating, uh, beating the team that I love. That'd be like, you know, if Georgia was beating, you know, the life out of Florida in, in the Florida-Georgia game, and they were about to score 70 points, and nobody's ever scored 70 <laughs> points in a Florida-Georgia game, so everybody cheer for Georgia. No. I mean, come on. What are we doing? I am with you. If I was at a, a Fenway Park and the Red Sox were getting no hit, I've never seen a no-hitter. That would be like the um, consolation prize. Mm. I'd be rooting for the Red Sox to get a hit, if not win the game. But if they didn't, then got no hit, I would try to put the positive spin like, well, at least I saw history. You wouldn't leave, though, right? Like, no. Uh, no. No, you couldn't. Um, can't leave early. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm big against leaving early, even if the game's out of hand. You no? Would, yeah, because I went in with the plan of, like, hey, I'm going to spend three hours at the ballpark. That's a good point. And I know traffic's a pain. But, again, I go in expecting, like, I'm going to go to the game, and it's probably going to be a pain getting to the stadium, getting away. You build that all in. And I spent money, so I'm going I'm, I'm to stay here for the nine. How often do I get to go to a game? So I'm anti, and thankfully, I grew up, I, I did not have a father that was always like, all right, eighth inning, we got to hit the road. He didn't, right. right? He was fine. We sit in traffic. We get home late. He was fine with it. He had to get up for work. He was always cool with that, and I appreciate that. I'm a big stay-at-the-game type of guy. Don't leave early. Now, if you have season tickets and you're at every game, okay, a little different. I mean, how many games do you go to? You got to stay for the whole thing. The other thing to come out of the baseball weekend, other than Ole Miss's uh, national championship, we'll get to that in just a moment. But there was this story written by the star, the Toronto star. And if you're unfamiliar, there's this guy, Zach Hample, who is obsessed with catching uh, foul balls and home run balls at baseball games. And uh, the number is in this article. I have to find it. But he believes he has like some ridiculous amount of baseballs from over the years, from going to 32 games. He has um, 11,811 baseballs. It sounds phony. It's not. He's taken photos in his bathtub covered in the baseballs. You'll see videos of him at all these different stadiums. He's written a book on it. Zach Hample's his name. I usually refrain from name calling, but this guy is a known loser. Uh, he pushes kids out of the way to get these foul balls and everything. He's just he's what's wrong with uh, with a lot of sports fans. And uh, I can't stand seeing this guy at the ballpark all the time getting these stupid foul balls. But they did this article for the Star. And um, the whole idea was, do kids deserve a home run ball or a foul ball? If you're at a stadium and you catch a foul ball, do you have to give it to a kid that's sitting in your row, or can you just keep it for yourself even your, if you're an adult? And I do think it's a fair question because, like, I've never caught a foul ball or a home run ball. I think it would be pretty cool if I caught a home run ball. I've never caught one before. But then I also think, yeah, what am I going to do with it? I'm a grown man. It means a lot more for that kid. 
I would also say you definitely have to give it to the kid if you like rob the ball from getting to the kid. If you're sitting right next to him and you reach up and you make the catch, right? You definitely got to give it to the kid. If you make a catch and there just happens to be a kid in your section, but he's like five rows behind you, all right, we could have a little bit more of a debate. But Zach Campbell in this article gives some uh, ridiculous quotes about um, there's no participation trophies. Kids have to learn that they need to earn things and hear no and yada, yada, yada. He said, I uh, get a lot of grief for catching balls, even if I give them away. Oh, I love this quote from uh, Zach Campbell. It's absentee adult morons that don't understand how it works. So if he's going to name call, I got no problem calling it. If he's going to call people morons for thinking he should give the ball to a kid, this guy's a moron too. I can't stand this guy. He's had all these stupid stadiums pushing people out of the way to get his stupid foul ball. If you've never caught one before, it's a little bit different. When you're this dude that has 12,000, you give the baseball to the kid. What do you need it for? You're in your 30s. He's got trash cans filled with baseballs. Anyways, all this is to say, Trent, if you're at a baseball game, you catch a foul ball, a home run ball, are you keeping it, or are you looking to give it to a kid nearby? Give it to a child. I mean, what are we doing here? You, you grow up at some point. I know it's cool to catch the foul ball and everything, but like you said, this gentleman has you know 15,000 you know, foul and home run balls that he has pushing kids out of the way, things of that nature. I will say, if there's no kids in your section – and you and you catch it maybe a different i'm not walking over you know 107 when i'm in 109 <laughs> right, right, right. just to go give a kid you know a uh, a foul ball but if he's sitting right behind me and i catch it yeah i mean right there the little girl's trying to get it with her dad boom throw it over to throw it over to the little girl be be respectful they're children yeah it means more for them and that's also how you grow the game that's the you know they they're going to remember that forever going to the game and getting a ball and that's what it's all about for these kids they go with their father and you have those memories of going to a game I will say, if you've never caught one, though, and you've been going to games for you, I get if it's like the first time you ever catch a ball, eh, maybe you feel like you want to keep it. But if you've caught one, if you're like this guy who has 12,000, absolutely you give that ball away. Give it to the kid. I've never caught uh, – I've never really come close. Well, I've told the story once. I had a foul ball that landed between my legs. Didn't get that one. Otherwise, I've never really come close to getting a foul ball. Sometimes in the broadcasting booth you get a foul ball back, but that doesn't really count. I'm thinking of as a fan when you're in the crowd and somebody hits a ball your direction. But I'll also tell you that I would never even attempt to catch a ball. I'm going to break a finger. I, if a ball, when I'm in the broadcast booth and a ball, I'm not trying to I duck out of the way and I protect my laptop. So if I'm in the crowd and somebody hits a home run to me, that thing's screaming off the bat at like 105 miles an hour. Somebody else, you try to catch it. Let the little kid try to catch it. I'm moving out of the way. I'm not trying to catch those foul balls. Oh, yeah, at a River Dogs game, a foul ball came to me. I didn't try to catch it. No, it, it hit like the, uh, the seats in front of me. It ended up coming to me. But no, I'm not. I'm reaching out of the way, and these they, we I've seen grown mans with gloves. Yeah, they bring gloves and try to catch these balls. I'm like, what are we doing here, pal? You're not you're not in the game. <laughs> what, come on, just go sit, have a beer, and enjoy, and let your kid run around. Yeah, that's a big thing. People get mocked for bringing the the gloves to a game. If you're if you're like under the age of 18, I'm, right. I'm cool with it. Like you, you can bring a glove, I don't care. But if you, I mean if you're 45, you got two kids sitting there, and you yeah. got a glove looking for every foul ball. Uh, I, I'm not having a beer with you. That, yeah. That's all I'll say. Not a great look. I get it because for the reasons I just said, it make it a lot easier than trying to catch a bare hand. But what are the chances? How often do you actually get a ball hit your way? So you're going to lug around your old, your old uh, battered glove from uh, your little league days, and carry it with you all around the stadium, and then you're going to sit there in your seat with the glove on. Eh, I don't know. I, I'm with you. It's not a great look. Just like uh, the wearing of a jersey. Now I'm still a jersey guy. I'll wear jerseys. 
it does get a little weird when you get to a certain age where now you're wearing jerseys of guys that are like 10 years younger than you. You're much older than all the athletes. Where are you while we're on the topic here? We've gone down this road. This is even what I was planning on discussing here. But nonetheless, since we're here, where are you on adults, like grown men, going to a game in a jersey? Yeah, you know, I got mixed feelings about it, definitely. Uh, if it's like a Legends jersey, maybe I'll understand it. But, yeah, I mean, if you're wearing, you know, Mac Jones's jersey and you're a 65-year-old at a Patriots <laughs> yeah. game, it, that does – it rubs me, you know, a different way. It's kind of like face painting, too. I mean, what are we doing? You're 55. Like, you, you know, take the paint off your face and watch the game. That, that Leave it to, you know, the younger generation to do that. Not a big jersey guy. I will say, though, baseball jerseys – are great for, you know, talking about fashion, obviously, great for fashion. You can wear uh, baseball jerseys, you know, and make them look presentable, and that's what I do for going to baseball games. I'll throw on, like, my old Miss baseball jersey yeah. or something. You can make it look good. I'm with you. Yeah. I wore a baseball jersey. I was just having this conversation with some friends about a month ago, and they were saying, ah, the baseball jersey. They said, how do you wear that? That's the worst. Baseball jerseys are the worst to wear. I said, what are you talking about? I think they're the most present. You can't go out in an NBA a basketball jersey. <laughs> And NFL jerseys, too, are too – baseball jersey is at least close enough to, like, actual clothes. You yeah. get away with it. And I think they're comfortable. The argument of my friends were saying, oh, baseball jerseys are so uncomfortable. I think they're comfortable. You leave the top uh, button or two unbuttoned, it uh, breathes. Oh, I leave, I leave all the buttons out. Wear the undershirt. and that. that. That's a great look. It's a yeah. great look, folks. Yeah, I'm all for the baseball jersey. I was, uh, I was the minority, though, in this conversation last <laughs> month. My buddies were all, oh, base, how can you wear a baseball jersey? What are you? What are your buddies wearing a football jersey out on a Thursday? I no, mean, what they, are we doing? They don't wear any. They probably don't wear any jerseys at this point. I'm still a jersey guy. I got no problem with it. I'm all for it. Baseball jerseys look pretty cool too. Just uh, I don't know. I don't know. If, probably don't put your name on the back. That's another one, right? You got like a grown man walking around with his own personalized jersey. Eh, maybe you let that one go too. You can always join the conversation eight four three seven two one nine five zero zero to give us a call. Let's go to the phones. Rob is with us. Rob, what's going on? How are you? I'm all right. How you doing? Doing well. What's up? Uh, you completely stole my thunder there asking about the grown man wearing a jersey thing. That's 100% why I called in. Um, yeah, I think they're really they're for kids or for women. I think a grown man wearing another grown man's jersey, I think it's a bad look. Anytime, no matter what team, legend, whatever. I, I don't know about that. And also, I kind of got a chuckle out of the uh, grown man taking the glove to the game. All I can think of is Jim Harbaugh. Um, but you know, he's, uh, he's different. That's for sure. Uh, y'all have a good one. Hey, appreciate it, Rob. Harbaugh was a quarterback in his defense, right? So he's used to three. He doesn't have the hands to catch one, but yeah, it would be, it is classic Jim Harbaugh. And I know he's guilty of doing it, of showing up with the old glove and you know, these gloves, they're the old, they're, they always show these people in the crowd. They got the old gloves from like their, when they were a kid, they're like 40 year old gloves they are all beat up. They look like they're being held together with, uh, with bubble gum. It's not like they show up with some nice new mitt. They bring it out of the garage, their old glove. They try to relive like the glory days. They show up to the stadium with the glove on. They're, they're even pounding the fist into the glove in between pitches. Like, all right, hit it this way. But what's worse, if you go and buy a glove just oh, to bring it to true. the ballpark or, or bring the glove that you've had? I feel like if you go and buy a new one just for that, uh, if, you're, hey, if you're playing catch in your yard with your son, I get why you're going to buy a baseball yeah. glove. But if you're buying it solely to catch foul balls. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. You're right. <laughs> all right I got to go to Dick's, get a new glove. Just don't bring the glove. <laughs> like, regardless, don't bring the glove. Yeah. Oh, you playing a men's league this year? You got to go to a new glove? <laughs> no, I'm going about 10 Braves games this summer. I got to go pick up a new glove, new mitt to go to the games. That's true. You can't get a new glove just for the purpose of hoping to catch a foul ball. Good point. All right, so now that makes sense why these guys pull out the old uh, battered mitt from their Little League days out of the uh, storage closet and show up at uh, Truist Park 
go catch a foul ball from Freddie Freeman this past weekend with their old beat-up mitt. When we come back, uh, since I teased it, Ole Miss won their first national championship. We talked about it earlier. You can find it on demand, but it's the dominance, the further dominance of the SEC where they've taken over. They were already the best conference in football. Now they're taking over baseball. Basketball's been getting better, and it all starts with football, and it's a trickle-down effect. And it's like somebody who hits it big with an invention or a company, and now they got money to be able to invest in other companies and make even more money. The SEC was the best and still is the best football conference, leading them to be able to reinvest that money into these other conferences. And they had more teams in the field for the baseball tournament than any other conference. They had the second most teams in March Madness this past year. They've won three straight uh, in baseball now from three different schools that don't really have that um, resume of winning. In fact, up until 12 years ago, the SEC had only two teams that ever won a national championship. Now they're winning all the national championships. And it's just furthering this monopoly of the SEC in college sports. As Ole Miss got their first national championship in baseball yesterday. Speaking of college sports, when we come back, which college football programs are at a crossroads? Which ones are arriving at that fork in the road? And which direction are they going to go? We'll get to that next. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Which college football teams are at a crossroads this upcoming year? They've reached the fork in the road, and it's important that they choose the right path down said road to get to the proper destination. We'll get to that here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. If we were to go conference by conference, and I were to pick one team from each conference, in the Big Ten, I think it's certainly Nebraska, right? Scott Frost is on the hot seat. And Nebraska is one of those teams that everybody is, is hyping them up. I heard uh, Brad Powers from Covers.com. He's big in the betting world of college football. He, uh, they power-ranked Nebraska at the end of last year as the number 30 team in all of college football, the 30th best team in college football, yet they were 3-9. and nine Because as we continue to regurgitate, you know, all their losses were by single digits. All but one was by you know, touchdown or less. Half of them were to ranked teams. They've played as good as you can for a 3-9 and nine team. They were a lot better than the record indicated. However, eventually, you have to turn those into wins. It's only going to get you so far. And Nebraska has been poor in one-possession games under Scott Frost, and that's the big kicker. Scott Frost had to get rid of his entire staff. So what comes next? The head coach. He's coaching for his job this year. So for Nebraska, you've got to turn it around. You've got to turn these close games into wins. And if you don't, there's going to be a coaching change. So certainly in the Big Ten, it's Nebraska that's at that fork in the road. And if they take the wrong turn and go down the wrong path, they'll have a coaching change this year, I would imagine. If they go down the right path, you turn some of those close games into some wins, you're far more competitive in the Big Ten this year. Out in the Pac-12, I'd probably say, I think you could go Arizona State with Herm Edwards. I mean, they have some issues off the field that uh, we're still waiting on the outcome. They lost some coaches. Uh, and Herm just uh, hasn't been great at Arizona State. And I thought last year was a little disappointing for them. So Arizona State is a good candidate. 
and UCLA may be another one as well in that Chip Kelly has been here for five years at UCLA. Uh, many believe that they'll probably have their best year yet underneath him, and hopefully they do. But you have this conference where USC, before they start to get going again, right, UCLA has a chance to uh, maybe surprisingly put themselves in the, the race there in the Pac-12. Otherwise, you know, I mean, Chip, at a certain point, you'll be talking about him costing himself his job as well. In the Big 12, I would say maybe Matt Campbell with Iowa State. I mean, a year ago we were talking about Matt Campbell going to the NFL and Iowa State as a playoff team, and they were a real big disappointment last year. They were right there at Clemson, and that's why I thought it was fitting that the two played in their bowl game. They played against one another. But Iowa State was right there as one of the bigger disappointments in college football. People were picking them to be a playoff team. They were never even in the conversation. Didn't they lose their first game of the year? It's like, all right, well, that's it for Iowa State. They were a huge bust a year ago. And everyone was saying, right, Matt Campbell is the next big star. The Lions wanted to hire him. His stock has really dropped. Now, I don't think he'd lose his job after this year because he's really beloved there. And it's one of those things um, where Matt Campbell is, like, really liked in football circles. And Kyrie Irving's kind of the same thing. We were talking about him earlier in basketball. Like, if you talk to any of the players – They'll speak highly of Kyrie Irving. It's one of those things like, oh, you just you don't get it, right? Because you don't know you're not a player. It's the same idea with Matt Campbell. Like those in the basketball or in the football world talk about like this guy's a great coach, yeah, but we're not really seeing the results. You don't get it. If only you knew what it was like, right? Matt Campbell. Well, I kind of have to see it for Iowa State. And if they continue to move in that wrong direction, where 12 months ago they were picked to be a playoff team by many, they were 500 last year. If they have another similar season or. Worst case scenario, they're worse this year. It's like, all right, we're really moving in the wrong direction. And I know Iowa State doesn't have a rich football tradition. But nonetheless, when you have those high hopes and expectations and you base plant, you bottom out like this. Uh, I could say Iowa State, but I probably actually, if I was choosing one team in the Big 12, I'd probably say Texas. Now, I know it's only year two of Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think he's on the hot seat this year. But Texas, they were 5-7 and seven a year ago. Not great. Didn't go to a bowl game. Now you bring in Quinn Ewers, you have the excitement of Arch Manning, even if he's not going to be there this year, and you have the fact that Texas has the second-best odds to win the conference. I think Texas and USC are both a little overvalued right now, but the hype is real around the Longhorns. And you expect Quinn Ewers to have a pretty good year. So the reason why I think they're at that fork in the road is because you were just 5-7 and seven last year. Are you going to go down that path again? Are we going to have another disappointing season? Is Texas only going to be 500? Or is Ewers going to be the real deal? And this offense could be prolific, and you could win the Big 12, and you go down the other road at that fork. Last year, you were 5-7. and seven. Now you really do improve, take a big step forward, and here comes Arch Manning as well. It changes everything for that program. Right? If Ewers has a good year and they win some games, now Arch Manning's come in, and you got two talented quarterbacks to choose from, and you had a much improved season, and you imagine year two of Sarkeesian will be better than year one. So I say Texas early on in the Sarkeesian tenure because we know they're not very patient there with that program. Then we get to the two conferences maybe you care about most, the ACC and, of course, the SEC. First in the SEC, I would say Missouri would be a team that's at the crossroads. If, I think, personally, Eli Drinkowitz, I don't think there's a lot of coaches in the SEC on the hot seat because we just had quite a few uh, turnover, quite a bit of turnover. Uh, but the one coach, I would say, could be uh, Drinkowitz at uh, Missouri. Had a good first year, took a big step back last year, and we'll see how they do uh, this season. But I think the grabbier headline, the team that more so is at that fork in the road, is Texas A&M. Now, I don't think Jimbo Fisher is going to lose his job this year. 
But after everything that's transpired, first they got close to making it to the playoff two years ago. Then last year they beat Alabama. Then they bring in the best recruiting class we've ever seen. Then you have the sparring of words between Jimbo and Saban, and they're going to meet early on in the season in October. And all the while, we're still waiting for Texas A&M to kind of reach their potential and finally make the playoff for the first time. So which direction are they going to go in? They're at that fork in the road. They've been sitting there for a while. But are they finally going to break through? Is this the year that Texas A&M will finally compete at the top of the SEC, potentially be a playoff team? Or are they going to get embarrassed by Alabama? Are they going to lose a couple games in conference? Right, last year they were 500 in the SEC. Are we looking at something similar this year? Remember, they lost their defensive coordinator, who I thought was the most important part of that team last year or the past couple of years during this, uh, this success. Jimbo's the offensive guy. The offense was not very good last year. So Texas A&M, I think, is the team in the SEC most at the crossroads. The other ones, you know, Kentucky's fine. You have South Carolina brought in Spencer Rattler, so they're hopeful, and they're still building. Florida just brought in a new coach. LSU just brought in a new coach. Arkansas and Ole Miss are doing just fine right now. Then lastly, you get to the ACC. Now, I think in the ACC, we can make the case for more teams than any other conference. I think Louisville is certainly at that fork in the road where I think Louisville needs a good year out of uh, Scott Satterfield. Otherwise, he's probably gone. I think Syracuse, if you want to say Syracuse, they never have high hopes or expectations, but I think Dino Babers is coaching for his job. You can make the case for uh, Mike Norvell at Florida State needs to really show a big step forward this year. I don't know if he loses his job this year. He hasn't been on the job that long. But, boy, with the pressure ramp up, I would say even NC State, could they realistically win the conference? Or are they going to take a step back from a year ago? And that's just the Atlantic Division, and that's also excluding Clemson. We'll circle back to them in just a moment. In the Coastal Division, I think UNC. I mean, talk about disappointments. Mac Brown should be on the hot seat. I don't know if he is. They love him there. That's why they brought him back. But they've been hugely underwhelming his first three years. You could even I would even make an argument for Pittsburgh. How do they follow up after winning the conference last year? Do they continue to ascend, or do they kind of fall back to to earth with a reality check this year without Kenny Pickett? But I do think that the team of most interest that's at that fork in the road is Clemson. I think Clemson is the most interesting team in college football because we're wondering, was last year the outlier? Will they just uh, get right back to where they were competing for national championships, or is this, to borrow a now overused phrase, the new normal? Right? Is this just what it's going to be now, where they're in the same boat as some other teams in the ACC trying to uh, earn their spot back into the playoff every once in a while? And if Clemson strings together back-to-back disappointing seasons, you're heading down that path of like, oh, this is just kind of the new reality. But I also think the reason why Clemson is so uh, interesting in this sense is because a lot of these other teams I mentioned, they have coaches who are coaching for their job, whether it's Nebraska, whether it's um, you know, maybe a Missouri the pressure would certainly ramp up on Jimbo. It would ramp up for Chip Kelly, right? A Matt Campbell, Steve Sarkeesian. If they don't lose their jobs yet, they'd be moving in that direction. In the ACC, if Louisville doesn't have a good year, maybe they make a change. Syracuse, if they don't have a good year, I would imagine they make a change. Some of these other schools as well. But for Clemson, I mean, Dabo, you're not talking about that. He's got the job security. And he's so unique in the sense that he is one of the more accomplished coaches we have in college football, and yet there's still that sense that he has to prove something. Usually we don't say that about coaches who have accomplished what Dabo has. But there's still the feeling for Clemson that they still have something to prove this year, which is why I think they're the most interesting team in college football heading into this year. What are we going to get out of them? I think they're at that fork in the road as well. And last year may have just been a blip where you, uh, you missed your turn. All right, no problem. We'll, we'll 
take the next exit. We'll circle back, back on track. We're all good. Right? Just uh, it cost us a, a little time, a little bit of a delay. Just like last year, right? Eh, just a little delay. Now we're back. Almost like the Golden State Warriors had two down years. They were injured. They were recovering. All right, now they're back to winning championships. You don't really worry about those two years when at one point they were the worst team in the league. Right, for Clemson, do they get right back to where they were, say, just two years ago? Or is this the path they're now heading down? They're at that fork in the road as well. Speaking of Clemson, when we come back to Sean Watson, former Clemson Tiger, will uh, start his um, sit-down with the NFL tomorrow as we figure out what is going to come from all this. We'll touch on that when we come back, getting ready for the Deshaun Watson situation to move forward with the NFL tomorrow. It's the more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We'll get to the Deshaun Watson situation here in just a moment as he gets ready to uh, meet with the NFL tomorrow. And hopefully we get some sort of outcome relatively quick in all this, right? Some sort of clarity in regards to um, the hearing with the NFL that begins tomorrow. But before we do so, we were talking last hour about, like, dream fights from athletes. Well... Uh, with a stroke of serendipity, uh, TMZ is reporting that uh, Adrian Peterson and Le'Veon Bell are currently in the process of putting together a boxing showdown that could happen next month. Adrian Peterson and Le'Veon Bell, two guys that, uh, you know, their their careers seem to be over. Could use some cash, I guess. Especially Adrian Peterson. He's had some issues in his uh, personal life that uh, he's needed some cash. AP, or really AD, was the real nickname, uh, and Le'Veon Bell in a boxing ring. Who do you give the edge to, and would you be tuning in, Trent? I'll probably tune in. Nah, no, nah, I won't buy the fight, but I'll, I'll look at the clips, no doubt. Now, I will say Le'Veon Bell, he's been out of football for the past couple of years and has been training in the boxing world. You know, I've seen a couple of videos of his training, and uh looks pretty good. His hands look pretty quick, but, I mean, all day, Adrian Peterson, you know, it's tough to bet against that guy in any situation. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see. But right now, I, I'd maybe... Maybe I'm leading towards Le'Veon Bell just because of the experience, but the strength of Adrian Peterson will probably overpower. Uh, it's supposed to take place at the former uh, Staples Center, now what, Crypto.com Arena? Oh, good for them. So, yeah, how about that? <laughs> this is going to be a big, big event going on here. We'll see if it happens in about a month. Adrian Peterson against Le'Veon Bell. That'd be interesting. I also like that it's the same position group. You know, when we were talking earlier, trying to pair guys together, that's like the ultimate test, too of taking guys from the same position and see who the alpha is of running backs or linebackers or defensive backs, whatever it may be. Uh, On a more serious subject matter, we have Deshaun Watson, who will begin his uh, hearing with the NFL tomorrow. Now, what I find interesting, I did not know this. I just learned this, that they tell you, they give you a 10-day heads up when it's going to begin. So Watson was told by the NFL 10 days prior to tomorrow. Then we know he settled 20 of the 24 cases last week. And at the time, we were talking about the timing, right? Why, why did this happen now? 
well, maybe this is part of the, the thought that if he shows up at this hearing tomorrow, maybe it makes him look better to say, hey, you know, we settled 20 of those 24. The women were satisfied with the term, yada, 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 whatever, right? At least you get that off the books of potential lawsuits. But the timeline is interesting that uh, reportedly he should have been told about this by the NFL just about 10 days ago. And within that window is when he settled a lot of these cases. Maybe that had to do with the timing leading up to the hearing with the NFL starting tomorrow. Here was uh, Jeremy Fowler on ESPN talking about the, the latest with Deshaun and this upcoming hearing tomorrow with the NFL. With the hearing coming Tuesday, VR Adam Schefter, that independent reviewer Sue L. Robinson will hear the Deshaun Watson case. That expedites the timeline on the NFL's potential ruling on Watson's discipline. Now, Robinson will hear the case from Watson, will also hear the case from the NFL, which is likely seeking a lengthy suspension for Watson. Now, the league has pretty much wrapped up its investigation at this point. I'm told it's been added for 18 months. It's interviewed several of the plaintiffs. It's interviewed Watson. Could do some more background work, but pretty much it's ready for a ruling. So the hope from the league and from many people involved is that there is discipline handed out by training camp. Now, this is a new process with Sue L. Robinson. The NFL and the NFLPA jointly appointed her. Roger Goodell will not make the decision on the discipline. So she could take a few weeks to decide, could take a couple days. Either way, this is being close to wrapped up, and the players' union will have Watson's back here. They are expected to potentially appeal any ruling. We'll be interesting to see what transpires tomorrow and then moving forward with this hearing. According to reports, the NFL are, are they're pushing for, at minimum, a year suspension, right? At least a full year suspension. And it'd be similar almost to, like, Calvin Ridley, who's suspended for at least a year, but then he has to try to get himself – he has to apply for reinstatement. So a lot of people saw that headline figure just a year. Not necessarily. It could be more. And according to the reports, the phrasing they're using, same idea with the NFL, where it would be uh, at least a year. And then you kind of go from there and see what the NFL decides and what happens in the next 12 months or 16 months and if more information comes out. But at least a year suspension for Deshaun, which, by the way, let's say that is the case. And then he comes back and plays in um, 2023. Now you'd be talking about two years off in the middle of the career, which would be interesting. Uh, you know, unions are are good, um, obviously, for the, the members of the union, and they're going to fight for Deshaun. According to reports, the union are suggesting that Deshaun shouldn't be punished at all. And it's something I said last week. Like, they're going to be doing their job, but it is an interesting dynamic that they will have to defend uh, these actions with the hope of being, eh, no punishment. We know it's out there and everything, but eh, I don't think Deshaun should actually be punished for any of this. He did his time last year when he was getting paid to not play just as he wanted. It'll be interesting to see how things go. I think that maybe the best case or the best uh, best option of attack for the PA and all this is that you try to point to um, others in the NFL that got away without much of an issue. You know, it's that that whataboutism, as they call it. Like, yeah, but what about Dan Snyder? Nothing's happened to Dan Snyder, and this is what he's been alleged to have done, yada, yada, yada. What about Robert Kraft? Right? Look at the punishment you gave Robert Kraft for his own issue, which is similar to Deshaun, uh, at least in a similar ballpark. Right? And nothing, not much came from that, and that's what you could try to do. Jerry Jones has had some accusations. Right? You didn't punish him for a lot of these things. That may be the best case. You know, the old "what's good for the goose is good for the gander." Like you, you're not. Why are the players? Why, why should Deshaun be treated differently than how you handled some of these situations with the owners? I would also say there is a difference between owners at the very top, and then the 
the players in this case that are lower on that totem pole when it comes to the NFL. But at least we're getting closer to some sort of uh, end game, I would imagine, here with Deshaun. And we'll see how things go, starting with the hearing tomorrow with the NFL. I mean, it's about that. The Browns really aren't owed much because they put themselves in the situation. But, you know, we're about to head into July. Training camps are about to begin. It would be nice to have some clarity. And we'll see if we get some of that clarity starting tomorrow with the NFL hearing with Deshaun Watson. In the meantime, we will wrap up your Monday when we come back. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Wrapping up your Monday in the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch you on the man. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. And the podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page and find the show there. Don't forget, you can take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app, search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. And through the app, you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world as the podcasts are available there. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least 12 different states and multiple countries on this Monday as we uh, kick off another week. Heading towards July, wrapping up June already. Uh, we broke down Freddie Freeman today and his emotional return. And boy, what a tough loss last night for the Braves. How do you lose that game? Also, Ole Miss getting that national championship. Sean Watson, teams reaching that fork in the road in college football. The Hornets embarrassing themselves and a whole lot more over the last few hours. Find it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston. However, you listen to your podcast whenever you miss anything from the show. In the meantime, life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. The more midday show right here on ESPN Radio. <laughs>